Xbox On. Welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, Xbox. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of December 15th, 2022, including actual legal experts weigh in and provide some clarity on the Activision Microsoft deal, Xbox could be bringing it in the App Store to iOS after all, tons of listener comments and thoughts on the worst games of 2022, and more. And on this day in Xbox history, the year 2020, yeah, 2020, back-to-back weeks here, Gears 5 Hivebusters, the downloadable add-on campaign for Gears 5, released on the Xbox One, as well as the newly released at the time, Xbox Series consoles, S and X, as well as PC, of course, fuck you PC people. Anyway, damn, I cannot believe that's two years old. I actually still haven't beaten Gears 5 Hivebusters, which is so odd, because I absolutely love Gears 5. In fact... Uh, hot take, I think Gears 5 is probably the best Gears of War game. I mean, we can sit here and argue about characters and story if you really want to get into that. I understand why people are emotionally attached to that originally, original trilogy. I respect that. But, damn, from a, from a pure production level and, and just moment-to-moment gameplay pacing, that really that just that modernized version of the Gears formula, I think Gears 5 is such a great game. It's such an underrated game. Obviously, you know, it did well. It's Gears of War. It's a big franchise. It's always going to do well. But, you know, Gears 5... Gears of War is kind of like where Halo is, where it's like, or at least where Halo was with 4 and 5, where it's like a new Halo game is going to sell really well, it's going to do really well, it's going to retain a lot of players, but it's not going to light the world on fire the way like Halo 3 did or the way Gears 2 did and things like that, right? So I don't know. I, I think Gears 5 is phenomenal, but I, I never did beat the Hive Busters DLC. I got halfway through it. I, I think I kept telling myself I was going to play it with someone co-op, and that's why I wasn't going to run through it on my own, and then it never happened. And I gotta get back to this because Hive Busters was really good and the main campaign was really, really good. And I don't know, but happy two year anniversary to Hive Busters. Um, that's kind of crazy thing. It's been two years. That, that do, you, do you remember what it looked like when you first saw Hive Busters running on a Series X? You're like, shit, next gen Xbox looks good. And now we're just like, where are the games? We'd kill for a, a Hive Busters type game right now. Uh, but nonetheless, welcome to episode 185 of the Xbox On Podcast. Uh, you guys, I do want to clarify, I feel like it was a little misleading the way I did the intro there. Uh, it is not listener comments talking about the worst games of 2022. It is listener comments and my thoughts on the worst games of 2022. So that was a little misleading the way I, I, I put that together. But you see what I do for SEO. You see what I do for clicks. I want to get you on YouTube. I want I want you guys to click because I'm just, I'm so, I'm so clickbaity, dude. It's how I make my ad revenue, bro. Uh, anyway, this is the last news episode of Xbox On for the year 2022. Now, let me really emphasize news-related episode because Xbox On does not take breaks. I do not go on vacation, see my family, or leave my cell. This is what I do all the fucking time, 365 days a year. So 
don't worry if you're like like I said, like if you're someone like me who works a nine to five job that doesn't take breaks during the holidays, you still got to do your weekly commute even the day after Christmas. Don't worry if Xbox on is a show that you rely on having there each and every Thursday, it's going to be there each and every Thursday throughout December and early into January. While I know a lot of other podcasts and uh, kind of media outlets and things like that will be taking a well-deserved and well-respectable, you know, break. I, I People should take time off and rest and relax. I really hope you can't hear this dog that's barking outside my apartment. Holy fuck, you suck so bad. To your owner, listen, dogs are nice. Respect the dogs. Get a fucking cat. Because even if they're bitching, they can't be this loud. What the fuck is happening? I hope this dog calms down with cholera and loses its, its ability to speak. I think cholera has something to do with speech. Maybe, possibly. But anyway, what I was trying to say was, uh, yeah, Xbox On will still be here uh, next week and the week after. So don't worry about that if, if this is a show that you look forward to listening on a consistent basis. Uh, it's just that this time of year, news slows down so much so that it would be uh, it would be hard for me to do a full-on hour and a half to two-hour long news-related podcast when, in all likelihood, the news is probably not going to be there. Uh, case in point, this week, our last week of solid regular run of show news week related content for the for the year 2022 we're kind of scraping the barrel here there's only a couple of news stories but i think one of them is so big that we'll have enough to really gather out of it i think we should still have ourselves a, an hour and 20 minute show or something like that here but every time i underestimate the amount of news we end up going two hours plus so we'll, we'll see how that works but anyway that i just i just want to put that up front uh, i do have some fun ideas including the last episode of the uh year uh the 29th of december will be the quote-unquote game of the year episode i don't normally do a typical game of the year like my favorite game of the year is elden ring you know obligatory applause for elden ring uh but i will be doing like a my favorite my five favorite games i played throughout 2022 and i always open that floor to just anything whether it was on xbox switch it was released in 2022 or 1994 i don't give a shit like we're just talking about the best gaming experiences of the year and of course a lot of it will be xbox and 2022 related but not all of it so uh you know look forward to that i'll have a special guest on the show for that next week i don't even fucking know what i'm doing next week we'll we'll see because if there's if there's some new stories we'll slip them in there but otherwise we'll be finding some other topic to talk about but guys it's xbox on don't ever you know don't don't threaten me with a good time with just with, with giving me two hours and a platform to ramble to myself like a f- absolute baboon i will i will take you up on that offer every time and make it happen so i'm sure we'll find some bullshit to talk about you guys that's enough preamble let's get into the actual regular podcast segments for the show starting off with our stories of mild amusement slash updates slash corrections there are probably some corrections to make i know last week i kind of uh glazed over um company of heroes 3 because it's a franchise i'm very familiar with the name of but actually don't know much about the actual game and Kronky had to write in and be like dumbass it's an rts franchise first time coming to console this is a pretty big deal I'm not going to sit here and make a huge deal about how I messed up that, and I, I don't care. Uh, we're just going to move on. <laughs> so um, let's let's start out with our normal stories of mild amusement, of which we have a couple. Uh, hey, if you're still uh, doing some last-minute Christmas shopping, Hanukkah shopping, I don't know if you shop for Kwanzaa, but if you're doing gift-giving for Kwanzaa, whatever the case may be, uh, just know that the Xbox Series S, little S, little, little guy, is going to continue to be $50 off through slash 50 euro off as well. For our friends over uh, in the on the other side of the the Western colonizing world, what's up? Respect, brother. Uh, anyway, uh, the the console will continue to be fifty dollars US or fifty euro uh, reduced price for the rest of the holiday season. I think until December twenty fourth, until Christmas Eve. So don't delay. Buy your Xbox Series S now. So instead of the uh, standard three hundred dollar price tag, it will continue to see that Black Friday price. 
that we've been seeing for a while now where it's uh, it's going to be 250 240ish somewhere in that range or 199 euro or 189 British pounds or I don't know what kind of currencies you guys are using it sounds heavy but whatever to each their own but uh yeah that's a I feel like maybe something something you might want to slide in there Xbox Series S this is you know I don't get paid by Microsoft or nothing uh, I've, I picked one up recently, and uh, I love this little thing. I fucking love this stupid little console. Even though I'm playing Callisto Protocol right now, and I know it runs at a smooth 60 FPS on my Series X, I'm still opting to play it at a choppy, shitty 30 FPS on my Series X because I'm just kind of enamored with toying around with this little box and seeing what kind of things limited and, what, and where, where it shines and all that, depending on the games. And uh, Dude, fucking Call of Duty still runs, still can run at 120 FPS on the Xbox Series S. I don't know if that's a bigger testament to this console or to Call of Duty because Call of Duty continues to be like the best optimized game of all time. I know it's fun to hate on Call of Duty, but think about it. 60 FPS was standard on COD back in 2007. How many other games were doing a standard 60 FPS back in those days? COD continues to be just a, a performance champion as a, as a performance layman, as a tech layman. I, I don't know how the fuck they pull that off consistently, but it is pretty impressive. And the fact that you can do 120 FPS on a little... Three hundred dollar, two two forty nine for the rest of the holiday season. Uh, Xbox Series S is just beyond me, but uh, I feel like that you know something worth noting. Anyway, next up, actually, is the time I'm recording this. This uh, just wrapped up, but Warner Bros. and Activision held a second Hogwarts Legacy gameplay showcase. Um, this is quite long, offering offering an in depth thirty five minute look at the open world game, along with uh, news and news and additional information uh, regarding the highly anticipated Harry Potter title, uh, albeit there was additional uh, news that came out with this. Uh, it was mildly disappointing for, for maybe some, um, which is that the game is being delayed on older hardware. So we'll get we'll get back to the gameplay in a second. But in a tweet from the Hogwarts Legacy Twitter account, uh, the team said that they are looking forward to bringing the, the new game and they want to deliver the best possible experience, blah, 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 across all platforms. And in order to do that, they've had to make the tough decision to delay the Xbox One PS4 last gen version of the game from February 10th to April 4th, 2023. So now if you're on Xbox One still or heaven forbid PS4, what are you doing here? We don't, we don't, we're not agnostic here. We're console warriors. We got tattoos on our chest. What are you doing here, PS4 owner? But uh, if you play on Xbox One still, unfortunately, you will not be able to get your hands on Hogwarts Legacy until April 4th. Although that is very respectable because, um, well, because we didn't want to, we, we don't want another cyberpunk on our hands, do we? Uh, and for whatever reason, if it's relevant to you, the Nintendo Switch version has been delayed even further, where it will now come out on July 25th. 2023 for the Nintendo Switch. However, for us elites, for us and people who actually matter and have large, juicy brains worth devouring if for zombies, if, if there's any zombies out there looking for brains to eat, just know that the Xbox Series S and X version, as well as the PC version, and hey, even the PS5 version, will still release on February 10th, 2023, which I, th I think is, uh, well, it's the date we've had for a while, but it was, you know, originally it was 2022, then before that even it was 2021, so whatever. Game's been delayed a lot, but it looks like for... The bulk of us will probably be able to experience this game in just a couple months, but uh, important to note, a high amount of respect for the uh, teams, for the team, the publisher for making this call, because uh, goddamn, I, I'm so fucking tired of games releasing in a broken state, and you know, who's to say this game won't still launch in a broken state, I mean, never underestimate modern gaming, that's kind of what happens with everything, but uh, th this move gives me some kind of hope that they're, uh, that this game will launch in a 
somewhat, you know, respectably stable state, at least on the Series S and X, uh, just for the simple fact that they're willing to delay the other versions of the game just to make sure this one hits its street date. Although, it does have me quite worried for the Nintendo, Nintendo Switch version of the game, because if you need to delay that much more, even more than the Xbox One version, that, that, that port must be in serious trouble. But then, it doesn't bother me too much after I think about that, because it is, after all, the Nintendo Switch, and I don't give a shit. Uh, anyway... So, yeah, 35, uh, back, back to the top of this news story, 35 minutes of gameplay were shown, really in-depth stuff. I'll be honest, I kind of wanted to tap out, I don't I don't really want to see much more of this game, mostly because I don't give a shit about Harry Potter, I'm just kind of curious about what the guys at Avalanche are working on, because I, I just love this developer so much, these are my old Disney Infinity guys, so I'm just in support of whatever they continue to do next. Uh, but, yeah, I, I'm definitely going to buy this game when it comes out, I'm definitely going to play this game. I, I think it looks like a shockingly competent, polished AAA experience. Uh, it looked like there were some texture popping, some lighting hiccups here or there a little bit in the demo, but the game was running smooth. It looked pretty polished. looked pretty much like it was in its, uh, you know, like late beta, early 1.0 kind of stage. So game looks to be running fairly decent, and uh, it, it was interesting. They, they're showing off, like, this open world, and, like, I can just cast a spell on the fly and jump on a hippogriff or whatever the fuck they're called and fly around the world on this on this bird lion. And uh, it, it's so weird because I'm looking at it like, I can't tell if this is, like, the Harry Potter game people have been dreaming of for decades or if it's, like, the Ubisoft game that nobody asked for because we've had too much of this Ubisoft open world shit. It's kind of weird because, you know, I don't mean to reduce the game down to it's just another Ubisoft open world, uh, but it just... Wow, it just looks like such a modern-day open-world game. Uh, but I mean that in both a critical and complimentary way because, again, you know, Avalanche, generally a smaller, more like AA-type team that usually worked on more budgy, licensed, tie-in products, you know, the Cars video games, the Toy, Stories video, Toy Story video games. The biggest project they ever worked on was the uh, Disney Infinity series back when they were still owned by Disney. And even that game, for as much as I do love it, you know, that wasn't AAA, hyper-polished, just the most groundbreaking type product ever. It was very much a, you know, pretty pretty uh, impressively put together, somewhat budgety, family, you know, all ages, geared definitely more towards kids kind of game. Uh, whereas this looks like, you know... It's what we've been saying, right? Uh, Hogwarts Legacy is to Harry Potter what Batman Arkham Asylum was to Batman or what um, Insomniac's Spider-Man PS4 was to Spider-Man, where it's like, this is the version of that video game licensed product, you know, with this IP, where we make it a very serious, very polished, very hyper-focused and, and, and really, like, tailor-made from the ground up video game adaptation of this IP, as opposed to just like, hey, here's a fucking cheap Harry Potter game because we know you'll buy it anyway. So, um, it, yeah, and this, and the, I only watched a couple minutes of the gameplay, skimmed uh, a little bit of the open world stuff, skipped ahead to the combat just to see what that kind of looked like in action, and then clicked off because I don't, you know, I, whatever, I've seen enough, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy this game, I don't need to see any more. And also, just to be honest with you, I was being a little lazy. I didn't really want to watch it. But uh, aside from that, you, you know, I definitely got enough of a look to, to be able to confidently say, you know, maybe this game is completely tricking us and, you know, stranger things have happened, no doubt. But uh, this game looks to be very much that the Batman Arkham or the Spider-Man PS4 of Harry Potter, where this is going to be that Harry Potter game that kind of legitimizes Harry Potter in the gaming space 
uh, which is something this franchise hasn't done yet. You know, it's it's very well respected in the uh, the not the book space. The, you know, the world of literature, obviously, as well as the, you know in the world of film and popular blockbuster film franchises. Uh, it's even really legitimized itself in theme parks, but hasn't gotten there quite yet in video games. And I think this will probably be the one to do it. So exciting news for Harry Potter fans. Exciting news for people like me who just want to see Avalanche continue to exist and be able to put games out. And uh, all around, I think this game is shaping up to be something pretty special. So that's Hogwarts Legacy. And then we only have one more story of mild amusement before we get into the actual news this week. But you guys, as VGC reports, Take-Two Interactive Publishing Label, their secondary publishing label, Private Division, has signed an upcoming horror game uh, from developer Bloober Team. Announced to coincide with Private Division's fifth anniversary, the title is a new survival horror IP that is early in development and not scheduled for release before calendar year 2025. Bloober Team, the independent Polish studio behind horror games like Layers of Fear, Observer, Blair Witch, and The Medium, as well as the upcoming Silent Hill 2 remake, are, uh, you know, they're coming up in this world. This is a team that we've seen... Man, this is a team that's been around for almost 15 years now, but it's only been in recent years that they've really started becoming anything relevant. Layers of Fear was released, I want to say, around 2016 or so, uh, 2015, 2016, something like that. And then, you know, since then, you know, Observer, that one I'm, I'm less familiar with, but Blair Witch, I know, was moderately popular. You know, Game Pass title, The Medium, another Game Pass title, uh, Silent Hill 2 remake. There was a lot of apprehension about them being the ones uh, behind this remake, but I think a lot of people kind of come around to it and, and, and just got a little more excited about this remake's existence, even with Bloober Team behind it. And though this is one of those teams that they've been around, they've grown enough of a name for themselves where they're like kind of a known quantity, but they're still kind of not yet proven. And, uh, you know, Silent Hill 2 Remake, I think, is going to be the thing that really makes or breaks them. But it is cool to see that they continue to truck along and get their name out there a lot and and and, and honestly be one of the few champions out there for this survival horror genre that, while definitely somewhat resurging these days, is still a, a rather niche and, and, and small kind of a subgenre of, of gaming. So, uh, it's, I don't know, it's cool to see Blooper Team continue to champion this and, and kind of nestle themselves into this niche and, and really go all in and continue to try and be uh, one of the main deliverers of, of the survival horror genre so it'll be cool to see whatever the hell this is i think uh, private division seems like a pretty fitting publisher for a team like bloober team at their at their current state but like i said who knows i think silent hill 2 remake remake is going to be definitely the thing that either launches them into stardom or completely tarnishes their name that is uh already a little bit rocky but not entirely i think uh defined yet so i don't know we'll have to wait and see obviously there's not much more we can take out of that other than there's a company working on a game. One day we might find out what it is, you know. So good on Bloober Team for, uh, you know, I guess, having another project in the pipeline. But that is it for all of our stories of Mild Amusement, you guys. Like I said, it is going to be a, a shorter news week. We got our next up, our uh, what I've been playing, and video game talk like that. And then we got our main news, of which there's like one really big story and then a bunch, uh, not a bunch, just a tiny handful of uh, some other smaller bits and pieces. But guys, I'm excited to get into each and every bit of it with each and every one of you, because I just love you all so individually. In fact, let's take a minute to name each and every person who's ever listened to the Xbox on podcast. That's right. I have the metadata and I'm here to shout out your personal names as well as your social securities, because for people who have been listening long enough, you know, I have each and every one of your social security numbers, starting with the A's we got. I don't know why that reminds me so much of when I was a, when I was a kid and my friend, everyone around me started getting cell phones. And I was like the only kid that didn't have a cell phone. This is before like smartphones, this is like flip phones and stuff. And uh, my best friend at the time, he had like, a, I don't know what it was, some fucking flip phone. And uh, I guess it didn't have a favorites tab for your contacts. 
And so, uh, you know, we're, we're like, I don't know, what are we in like seventh grade or something at the time. So, you know, he doesn't have, he's not, he doesn't have too many phone numbers. He's not, he's not like flirting with girls or texting all his buddies and shit, you know, for the most part, it's like his emergency phone for if he goes to the mall and mom and dad need to pick him up. So uh, I don't know why I just remember so <laughs> vividly that in order, like his little hack around, like trying to organize his contacts was like to make sure mom and dad popped up at the top of his contacts list. He put his parents' name as like a mom, a dad. So that when you go into your contacts list, it's like A's, a mom and dad, they pop up first. I don't know why that's, why that's stupid. He reminded me of that, but uh, I guess that's kind of a thing we wouldn't have to do today. But uh, I guess now you just ask Siri to call mom and dad and they would be like, what? Now playing Imagine Dragons. Anyway, guys, let's talk about the games I've been playing this week. There are a lot of games that have come out. In fact, I forgot to mention at the top of the show. This is the last big week of the year for for notable game launches. We had High on Life just came out this week. We'll talk about that. Uh, Crisis Core Final Fantasy VII Reunion just came out as well on Xbox One S and X. Uh, so we'll talk about that as well. We'll not talk about that because I'm actually not playing it. I'm probably not going to play it. So take that back. Uh, Witcher Three Wild Hunt, the next gen edition, just came out uh, the, as of the day I'm recording this. So couple pretty notable games uh, and that's that I mean that's pretty much it for 22 we've had tons of high profile games come out the past couple weeks and um, I think that that's a pretty good way to round it off uh, some of that yeah we'll we'll show we'll, we'll talk about a little bit more than what I've been playing along with Callisto protocol and whatnot but before I tell you about what I've been playing you guys I want to tell you a little bit about what I've been eating and what I'm realizing is I have nothing to say because well here's a simple truth. Because I had to do the podcast last week on Friday and upload it Saturday, I, you know, I've been kind of swamped. I haven't really had a chance to go out and eat anything merry. In fact, the only thing of note I've had, because, I mean, it's just been the work week. I'm just eating, like, fucking sandwiches for lunch and, and you know, rice and veggies and meat for dinner. The only real interesting thing I want to I add here is, is, is the Pringle. I've been thinking about the Pringle a lot lately. Uh, I, I hope to all of our listeners internationally that you have access to the Pringles, to Pringles and that this is not like a what the fuck are you saying? Pringles, the uh, the famous American potato chip type snack. They don't. I don't know if it's if it's technically classified as a uh, potato chip, but it is. Um, but it is definitely a chip, nonetheless. I know you know. To be fair to our UK listeners, you guys call them crisps. Same thing, worst name. Um, but yeah, it, it, Pringles. I've been thinking about them a lot. It's just something I really love a lot, and I've been eating so many of them lately, and I've realized that there's a weird phase, like, I go through weird phases of my life where it's just, like, I eat just so many Pringles, and then I forget about their existence for a couple years, and then I and then I rediscover them, and then I just, I'm right back down the rabbit hole, and right now I'm kind of going through one of those motions, you know, inflation's kind of kicking us all in the ass right now, I'm sure many of you can attest to this, you know, if you go to the grocery store right now and try to buy Doritos, Lay's, whatever the fuck your your chip of your your chip brand of choice is, you, you see that the price is getting astronomical. I'm talking about like goddamn, like local grocery stores here, you're finding like regular size bags of Dorito for like five or six dollars. It's just ridiculous. I can't I can't justify it. And one of my favorite things to do on a Sunday is to to go to Publix, the local grocery store here, which makes pretty excellent sub sandwiches. I like to get like a big Italian or like an ultimate sub, you know, with all the meats and cheeses and toppings and whatnot. And uh, I like to grab a bag of chips and then sit down and just watch TV for like an hour and just eat my sa- eat my awesome sub sandwich and eat chips. But but lately I've been uh, I've been gravitating towards the Pringles because Pringles are significantly more affordable than you know like Doritos or whatever. You know my standard go to would be probably like kettle cooked black pepper. 
uh, chips or like or like Doritos, something like that. But uh, no, Pringles have been doing me well because you can get a can of Pringles for like two bucks, and uh, you know, obviously it's much smaller than a bag of Doritos, but it's easier for me to to, to stomach a two dollar purchase of Pringles as opposed to a, a six dollar bag of Doritos. So that's where I've been going lately, and it's just you know, shout out to the Pringle. It is salty, it is savory, but you eat a bunch of Pringles and you don't feel as shitty as if you eat a bunch of Doritos. I guess the high fructose corn syrup content is less or something. I don't know. But there's just something about Pringles where they're so satisfying and you can eat a shit ton of them and they're not, you know, it's a salty snack, no doubt. Potato chips are salty, but somehow it doesn't feel like you're consuming as much sodium when you uh, when you eat Pringles. So there's just something about where, you know, the, the whole stack is probably meant for maybe five or six servings of, of, of chips, but I have no problem eating it all in one or two sittings because they're just that good. And right now I've just been on a big, a big kick for Pringles, and there's just so much about Pringles that I admire. The the weird duckbill shape of them, the tubular stacked nature in which they're presented, uh, the the little rubber uh, cap that goes on the top, kind of like a, like a package of tennis balls. Why the fuck are Pringles and tennis balls packaged the exact same way? This makes no sense to me, but at the same time, I admire it, because it's just one of those things that's kind of like a leftover from this bygone era that, era that like, we just kind of don't think twice about it, and we embrace it. Whereas, you know, like you think about other packaged items that have just gotten shittier and lamer over the years, like Snapple, which no longer has the classic glass bottles, things like that. It's just we're so used to the packaging and the presentation of everything in our lives, unless you live in Japan, just being so dumbed down and mundane and boring and unimaginative that I just want to give a special shout out to the Pringle because not only are you affordable, not only are you delicious, but your packaging is incredibly unique and respectable, and I, I love you for it. So Pringles, shout out to you. Continue to be what you are. I will continue to eat you, and if my doctor tells me you keep eating processed potato chips like this and you'll and you, you put yourself in an early grave, I'll say, fuck you, nerd. Nobody asked what you had to say. So that's what I'll say to my doctor, probably. We'll get back to what I've been eating next week with something more exciting. I do have some plans in the works to try out either Culver's or Burger King or something like that pretty soon. But until then, let's get into the what I've been playing of the week. If you, if you want to talk about video games, I suppose, on this video game podcast, guys. I've been uh, pretty busy, actually. I'm working on a new YouTube video for for my YouTube channel, my other YouTube channel, Lightning Extreme. Uh, so that should be out actually in a couple days or maybe a day from the time you're listening to this podcast. So be on the lookout for that. But it's been eating a lot of my free time, making me uh, leaving me with just not much opportunity to game. Uh, but that said, I have been forcing, shoehorning in a, a little moments here and there to dabble with the Callisto Protocol because... I'm really enamored by this game. I'm really enjoying it. It's one of those games where when I'm playing it, it's just one of my favorite games of the year. It's so good. It's so enjoyable. Definitely has some flaws. There are definitely some things about this game I don't love, but I am having such a great time playing it in the moment that I, I'm, I'm adoring this game. I just think so highly of it. I can't imagine or I, I can't begin to understand how the critics just got it so, I don't know, like how the reviews are so like middling to negative on this game when it's like, I just think this game is so much better than the the rep it's been given, and um, I don't know. Is it is it as good as the original Dead Space? No. Is it the ultimate successor to the Dead Space franchise? No. But is it really damn good and sorely needed in a time where we just don't get shit like this anymore? Oh yeah, it's very good. It's some of the best presentation and just direction, like just character direction and and voice acting and anything I've seen in the game. It's just the presentation of this game is phenomenal. It's very much like. 
honestly, it's not too far off presentation wise and in just cinematic wise from like a like a game like God of War or something like that. It's it's really well done, and maybe that makes sense because a lot of Sony people helped work on a lot of the art related shit for this game, as we recently found out. Um, so that maybe that has something to do with why this game has such a cinematic look and feel to it. But God, this game is really really nice. I will say, the more I play this game, though, I continue to be further and further frustrated by two things. I don't love the 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 combat system in this game as much as I like uh, Dead Space at all because the melee system, while I have gotten much more accustomed to it, much more used to its weird dodging mechanic, I still don't prefer it. And the other thing I hate about the combat in this game is I feel like the game is constantly asking me to be stealthy and to sneak around cover and try to like shiv like shank enemies and things like that. But at the same time, it doesn't give me the opportunity to be stealthy. It'll put me in a room and be like, here's four enemies. Try to stealthily make your way around them. But the enemies just immediately know that I'm there, even if I'm crouching or hiding. And then they're just all on me and I have to be more aggressive. I don't know if I just don't understand this game or if it's like I have to turn off my flashlight or something. Something I don't get or know. I don't know what it is, but I just feel like it's been very challenging for me to be stealthy. And, and I'm trying to do that because even though stealth is usually not my preferred playstyle, I feel like that would be really suited for this game. And I'm just finding myself unable to play in a stealthy manner. This is an ironic or this is kind of an odd gripe for me to have because generally I prefer playing games in a, in a more uh, like aggressive confrontational way when it comes to combat where it's just guns ablaze and jump on in but I'm I'm genuinely trying to play this game in a more stealthy fashion and I feel like the game is forcing me to play more aggressively which is just uh I, I'm, I'm kind of at odds a little bit with the combat philosophy of this game overall the combat feels mostly great the shooting feels good uh i mean it, it doesn't feel too far off from what dead space felt like when when you're in the combat scenario and they got a little bit of that like limbs shooting off mechanics somewhat but not you know it's not the full focus i like it a lot it's pretty good i just I'm, I'm not crazy about the combat the combat is probably my least favorite aspect of the game i like the atmosphere the exploration the narrative far more than the combat but that's not to say it's a bad game i still think this is a pretty damn good game um like honestly if i had to if i had to score if i had to ign score this game right now with maybe three hours left before i roll credits i'd probably give it like a, a high I mean, eh, maybe like a low eight like a yeah like a some you know ign does those really annoying like 7.9 kind of reviews maybe i'll do one of those like a 7.9 or an 8.1 one of those scores but i'm really enjoying this game quite a bit I, I highly recommend it to be honest if you're if you if you're a dead space fan i feel like you would really enjoy this game it's just it's, it's a lot of that like the popular YouTubers and the critics, well, you know, they're entitled to their opinions and all due respect, you know, think what you, you're welcome to feel any way you feel about a game you played. But I feel like that it's one of those things where it's like the overarching negative reaction from some of the most influential voices in the game's media space and the game, you know, the YouTube space are going to do that thing where it paints the perspective for a lot of like people who uh, don't like to make decisions for themselves, don't like to make, you know, conclusions for themselves based on their own experience. They like to, you know, not spend $70 on a game, play it and, and render a verdict. They'd rather watch a YouTuber for 10 minutes and then adopt their belief and opinion. I feel like this is going to be one of those games where for the next couple of years, everyone's going to be like, oh yeah, Callisto Protocol, that game was shit. Wasn't that game kind of shit, man? It's like, did you play the game? No. Okay, that's what I thought. And then, you know, maybe, maybe 10 years down the road, we'll be seeing all the YouTube retrospectives that are like, Callisto Protocol, was it good? And then the thumbnail will be like, misunderstood gem, question mark? And it'll be like, fucking kill me. And that's probably exactly what's going to happen to Callisto Protocol within the next decade or so. Mark my goddamn words. You probably won't remember I ever said this by then, but I'm saying it anyway. Uh, but that's Callisto Protocol. Oh, the other thing that really... 
the other thing that really gets me with this game uh, negatively that I, I this one I actually find inexcusable. This game has a god awful checkpoint system. Holy shit! There are some times where I die in this game, and I feel like I've been ass blasted back to the PlayStation Two, where I'm like, this is where you're checkpointing me, like. This far fucking back? What the hell? Like, it's okay. I'll deal with it. I'm playing on a, one of the easier difficulties anyway. But, like, fuck me, man. Like, this, you're going to blow me back, like, 15 minutes worth of gameplay. And, and it, you know, it's a slow and methodical game. So, sometimes 15 minutes of gameplay feels like 30. You know, so it's, it, it can feel like a lot. The checkpoint system in this game is absolute pure asshole. Like, that is an irredeemable thing. Like, if this game was a 9 out of 10, I would give it an 8 out of 10 just because of how much I... I loathe this checkpoint system it's terrible it's absolutely god awful and and the thing is <laughs> the there are so many more high points than low points in this game and those high points are just phenomenal highs like such a oh my god the storytelling the the, the atmosphere the cinematics uh, everything of this game is so amazing and then and then it comes to that checkpoint system like fuck that checkpoint system it's almost like there's the callisto protocol and then individual like separate of that is the, is is the checkpoint system and there's two different things one of them i love and one of them i hate but yeah I, I will i will give it that criticism but overall as a uh, as a spiritual successor dead space i am more than satisfied you know could could it be more would i like for it to be more yes do i hope it gets a sequel and it gets even better yes is it annoying when i answer my own questions yes but uh, I'm really enjoying the Callisto, Callisto Protocol, and I'm excited to wrap it up this weekend, see uh, how how the game concludes, and um, move on to High on Life, which is another big profile game for the Xbox community that came out this week. It is uh, it launched into Game Pass. This is that Rick and Morty meets uh, first-person shooter kind of looking odd world Stranger's Wrath game. What I'm gathering from a lot of the reviews is that this game has a lot more Metroid Prime influence than I... Than, uh, I mean, I didn't think it had any Metroid Prime influence, judging by the um, gameplay footage we'd seen leading up to this point. But apparently, it's somewhat of like a Metroid Prime-esque first-person shooter. I guess that means like a 3D first-person shooter Metroidvania type game with backtracking and puzzle solving. And I don't, I don't know what to make of this. Um, I haven't watched a single review for this game. I don't want to really see anything. I, I feel like I came into this this game with its original announcement with such a skewed perception because I hate the humor and the the comedy style of of Rick and Morty that I wanted to hate this game. But the game won me over nonetheless because I think the game looks very compelling. When you watch the game running in action, I, I think you'd have to be lying to yourself to say this game doesn't look incredibly unique and intriguing. And so I am I am cautiously excited to give this game a go. I have every intention of getting into it on Saturday or Sunday this weekend. So I will be playing it. But um, yeah, it seems like initial reviews are kind of like Callisto Protocol. It's everything from like meh to like, ooh, this is bad. And it's apparently got a lot of Metroid Prime influence on it. So very curious to see what this game is actually like once I get my hands on it, but no doubt I'm going to be playing High on Life this weekend. Kronky says it's really good for what it's worth, so, you know, Kronky's got opinions that I sometimes agree with. That So there's that. Uh, next up, I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite um, because that second winter update came out the other week. I love how I said I've had no time to play video games, and then I said I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite. Um, I've been playing a lot of Halo Infinite relative to how much free time I've had, but oh my god. <laughs> like I probably could have beat Callisto Protocol this weekend if I hadn't played Halo Infinite, but I, I I don't regret what I did because guys, I genuinely finally feel like Halo Infinite has reached its proper release 1.0 release. I think I mentioned it last week. One of the Halo content creators out there, I don't sorry if I don't remember who it was, 
uh, but one of the more prominent Halo YouTuber content creators out there had a funny tweet where they're like, uh, it feels like Halo Infinite has finally released as of today when this new update came out, the second part of the winter update came out. And having spent a decent amount of my weekend with this game, I gotta be honest, I no joke feel the exact same way. That's exactly what Halo Infinite uh, feels like right now. It is, it's so satisfying, man. They fix so much of the multiplayer progression with how you get XP for matches and, you know, top best performing players get extra XP and all these kinds of things. I'm like, yes, that's how you do it. It's got this extra little battle pass, which is, you know, whatever. The cosmetics in this game have never really wowed me, but the way you unlock them, not bad. They're finally starting to implement a little of that cross-core uh, customization, so you're not relegated to just one skeleton, you know, one core um, when when you unlock like a new helmet or or armor or whatever. And so we're finally starting to get a little bit of that, which they're going to continue to go deeper and deeper into. And then you know the real piece de resistance is is, is the two-parter, which is finally. Forge Custom Games has a browser. It has a fucking browser. So if you're like me and no, you have no one to play Halo with, you can go into this customs browser and find ridiculous maps. You can play Duck Hunt. You can play fucking Mario Kart. You can play uh, all, all the crazy parkour maps. It doesn't matter. You can find... They, they have fucking Call of Duty zombies made in this shit. There's a Waffle House map that looks incredible. Forge looks so good in this game. And when I'm able to just browse a list of really awesome games and just click one and join in and have fun without having to... Uh, create my own match or invite a bunch of friends and convince people and, and gaslight them into playing Halo with me. You know, it's like, finally, I can play this game in a casual, fun manner, and it is so good. Forge is so good now. On top of that, um, it, as a side note, I will say, I was having a lot of trouble with, with loading into custom browser, uh, custom custom matches, uh, public the public browser for custom matchmaking. And uh, eventually, I kind of figured it out. I restarted my Xbox, and it was working fine. It's been working fine ever since. But was having some initial issue with that as a side note. But the other great thing about this update is this new map. I forget what they call it now, but it's it's the Pit from Halo 3, the famous map, the Pit from Halo 3, but overdone and made in Forge with this new kind of like cyber looking look to it. And uh, it's great, dude. It's fucking great. It's a really good map. It feels so fresh in in a game that has otherwise felt like it's had very samey maps. And the thing I love about it so much is aesthetically, it feels different from the rest of Halo Infinite. And not only that, but three four three finally put got the common sense to be like, hey, we have a new map in multiplayer that's out. We should put a cus We should put a specific matchmaking playlist dedicated to just this new map because people might be checking out multiplayer specifically for the new map. So if you want to just play the new map 24 7 all the time you can you don't have to fucking get into team slayer and hope to god you get the new pit remake map and then be like oh it's bizarre for the 17th time in a row nope you can just get the pit and have a good time it's incredible it's amazing i love it uh, i've been having a ton of fun with the multiplayer it's just it finally feels i'm having fun with this game in a way that i haven't had fun with halo since halo 5 it just feels like the whole package is here. Like the the game is fun. I can play it casually. I can feel like I'm making progress. Is it perfect? No. Does it still have room to go? No. Does it is it still annoying when I talk to myself and answer my own questions? Yes. But this game finally feels like the complete package. Like if if, if Halo Infinite came out today, for the first time, it just finally released. Man, this game would be such an easy fucking nine out of ten, nine plus out of ten, and everyone would be like, "That's it, baby. Halo's back." It's a shame. It's a sh fucking shame. The game could not launch in this state. And, you know, for, I know people like myself defended that a lot of this content wouldn't be there day one because we thought there'd be a more streamlined release schedule for this content. But it took so long to get here. 
And it's just a shame that the game had to hemorrhage so many players and suffer through so much bad PR just to make it to this point because god damn Halo Infinite is so good now. But uh, yeah, that, that's Halo Infinite. So the last game I've been playing this week, and actually it wasn't this week, it was technically two weeks ago. I just completely forgot to mention it last week. Uh, well, I guess so it's last week, not two weeks ago. Anyway, I just completely forgot to mention it last week uh, because I was just so inundated with all the news from the Game Awards. But uh, actually, Warhammer 40k Darktide, we talked about it when it came out. I said I was going to play it, and then I just never talked about it. But I did play this game. I played it for two nights. Um, spoiler alert, I really like this game. I just haven't had a chance to really sit down and play it because there's just so much pulling for my time right now that it just hasn't been viable for me to sit down and really sit with, you know, really get into this game. Uh, but yeah, I, I played it one night by myself, and then I played it another night with Kronky, and I gotta be honest, man, Warhammer 40k Darktide, this game ended up being pretty good. I was really cautiously optimistic about this game since it was announced in 2020, where I'm like, this looks like the Left 4 Dead game we've been waiting for, but I don't really trust that it's gonna come from a Warhammer game, and I don't know, I'm definitely gonna give this a try, I mean, it's a Game Pass title, why wouldn't I play it? Let, let's see how this turns out. And then Back for Blood started making a big splash. And I was like, ah, never mind. Back for Blood's going to give me what I want. It's going to be that Left 4 Dead 3 I've always wanted. And then Back for Blood came out and kind of sucked. And I'm like, that I, I don't have any faith in humanity any any longer. And, uh, well, finally, Warhammer Darktide, Warhammer 40K Darktide, whatever you want to say, is finally here. Uh, it's not on Xbox yet. It should be out on Xbox early in 2023. So we're not quite there. But uh, it is on PC and it is available on PC Game Pass. So that is how I played it. And, um... You, you know what's crazy? As I didn't realize, at first I was like, you know, it's like Vermintide. Vermintide was a little bit like Left 4 Dead, but I never played too much Vermintide to really get into, like, the nuance of, like, the feel to get too nuanced with my, you know, my perception of that game. But I, I felt like this is going to be Warhammer, Left 4 Dead, and uh, it's a little more fitting because it has guns instead of melee weapons and whatever. The reality of Warhammer 40k Darktide is... It is a little bit like Left 4 Dead, but it's not totally like Left 4 Dead, and not in a disappointing way like other games that try to be like Left 4 Dead and end up being kind of crappy. Warhammer Darktide is basically a 50-50 blend of Left 4 Dead meets Destiny 2, or Destiny in general, because, I mean, Destiny's Destiny, right? I didn't know that this... I, I would have never considered this combination, but holy shit, is this a really good combination for a game. It has a loot grind kind of element to it. It has a hub world where you can trade gear, pick up items, shop and sell and trade and buy and store, and you can go and pick different different missions and different difficulty tiers and get different kind of loot based on what difficulty tier you pick and all these different things and team up with your buddies. But then the moment-to-moment gameplay kind of feels, you know, the objectives kind of feel like Destiny, but the moment-to-moment gameplay kind of feels like Left 4 Dead and... I, I don't know. This is a game that I would have never fucking thought about. Like, just taking the, the peanut butter of Left 4 Dead and the jelly of Destiny and pushing it together making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But holy shit, Warhammer 40k Darktide is the Left 4 Dead Destiny mashup I never knew I needed, but absolutely am glad exists. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, really pr- I'm really glad to report that in some ways this is the Left 4 Dead kind of alternative I've been looking for. But in some ways, it's something a lot more unique and original I hadn't expected or anticipated or ever thought of, but I'm really, really, truly glad exists. And so this is a game I will 100% come back to. Um, you know, I, I got to get through all this single-player shit I'm working on, Callisto Protocol and whatnot. 
but I will no doubt be coming back to this game. I'm just so inundated with with crap to play, man. I'm like, I'm actually into Halo Infinite now. Of course, Halo Infinite got good when other games were around to play. You know, I'm, I still love Modern Warfare 2. I just don't have any time to play it. I'm, I'm working through Callisto Protocol right now. Um, I want to play High on Life. I want to get back to the rest of my backlog. There's just a million things right now. Uh, but I no doubt it might will I get back to this game. And when it comes to Xbox, I suspect I'll play it even more. And in fact, you know, Dark Tide is going to be a fantastic game to play on stream. So I, I foresee a lot of future, you know, twitch.tv slash lightning extreme uh, nights where we where we play Dark Tide because this game is perfect for streaming. And uh, I don't know, man, I'm just I'm really into this. I kind of wish it could have come out this summer. I feel like this would have been such a perfect summer release. But nonetheless, um, highly recommend this game if you have PC on Game Pass. You should give this a go, and if you don't have a PC that will run it or whatever the case may be, man, when this shit comes to Xbox, don't sleep on it because it's good. It's very good. If you like Destiny, if you like Left 4 Dead, I think you'll like Dark Tide. I think it's safe to say this game is real good shit. Um, only really been able to put a collective like three hours into it, so I'm really going to be looking forward to playing a lot more of it, um, you know, getting more in-depth with it, because obviously my impressions so far are from pretty early gameplay, but uh, I suspect this game just gets better and better. I hope that is true. I hope that is the case. Uh, but yeah, man, I just, oof, Dark Tide, good stuff. So good, in fact, I forgot to talk about it last week, but <laughs> I'll, I'll joke it aside, really good stuff. But that's it for all I've been uh, playing this week, you guys, and with that said, we can jump into the news. Told I told you, I told you we'd find a way to make this a long show, regardless of uh, a big news a big amount of news to get through. Uh, in fact, uh, we're like 40 minutes into the show, and we haven't even gotten to the main news segment. So it's working out perfectly, guys. So we'll see you see in a second to talk about more Activision Blizzard shit, because what else is there? All right, so we really only have like three stories to go over today, and one of them is really big, and the other two are kind of fun. And I just really want to delve into this first one, because... I know every week we say we're tired of talking about Activision Blizzard, but I think this is a really good opportunity to provide some true clarity. And honestly, if this is the last time we're going to talk about the Activision Microsoft deal for the rest of 2022, and I th knock on wood, I think it will be the last one, you know, before we probably have to bring it back up in January. I, I think this is the perfect story to go out on regarding this, which is undoubtedly the biggest story of gaming news in 2022, probably the biggest story in gaming news. Honestly, in the past 20 years, easily. And the thing is, it's, you know, we've been going back and forth all year on it. Will it happen? Will it not? You know, is Sony going to stop it? Is Sony not going to stop it? Is Microsoft going to pull out? Is Microsoft going to double down? Is the EU going to get in the way? Is, is, is some, you know, some regulatory body in the U.S. or somewhere else going to get in the way? Like, what's going to happen? And none of us have really had any really confident, firm understanding of how this is playing out, or, you know, I say none of us as if everyone else has been weighing in uh, on exactly what they think is going on here, but um, I, I, I like to be honest about, it. like, obviously I am no legal expert, I, this is I, this is so far out of my element and my area of expertise, like, you want my area of expertise? Ask me about the Rainforest Cafe. You want to watch me flail and act like a fucking moron trying to comprehend something? Ask me about the Activision Blizzard uh, uh, acquisition and all the complications surrounding that. And so what we have here is, and it's really quite serendipitous that this happened, you know, timing-wise as it did, is GamesIndustry.biz, a really great publication that we don't use as often anymore, but really should, wrote a really great piece where they uh, collected a bunch of quotes and perspectives and takes from various legal experts 
on the um, on the Microsoft Activision Blizzard com- um, acquisition and framed these quotes in this article in a format to kind of go over like the biggest pain points and points of contention and questions that a lot of readers and fans have on their minds regarding this deal while trying to use these quotes and these perspectives from legal experts to try and add some add some you know some some light onto the uh, onto the subject and so i want to it's it's long it's arduous but we will go through this and stop here and there to talk about it a little bit but i think a lot of clarity and levity and perspective can be gained by going through this pretty in-depth story because you know, I, I feel some responsibility as as the host and, and creator of a podcast that has a very small but large enough to matter in some way. You know, kind of podcast audience. I feel like you know, I there, I, I have responsibility for the takes and the perspectives and the things I say and put out there into the world. And I don't want to be spreading misinformation because I have thoughts and opinions and feelings based on things I don't fully understand. And so I like this added perspective and in, in legal expertise that can add some, maybe some more valid um, and more likely and grounded analysis to a story that's otherwise been really complicated, really, really long, really confusing and overly covered by people, by self, by self ascribed pundits who probably aren't really uh, up to snuff when it comes to tackling this kind of news. Uh, myself definitely included in that list. And so, um, yeah, it, it's kind of really crazy because one of the people who is noted heavily in this story is uh, uh, Richard Hogue of the YouTube channel Hogue Law. Uh, well, he's an actual lawyer, but he has a popular YouTube channel as well called Hogue Law. And uh, I, I I follow him on and off. I, I really I appreciate his his uh, his analysis and his his legal interpretations. And so I was trying to watch his extensive YouTube videos on the Activision Blizzard deal leading up to today's podcast to try and have some more, you know, some more like like legitimate kind of commentary and, and perspective to, to go into uh, as we wrap up our last conversation about this story for the year. And uh, well, luckily enough, he actually ended up being quoted heavily in this story so he can use a lot of his uh, his analysis and his um, perspective and interpretation to kind of help us go through, you know, what all this we're about to go into. Anyway, that's a lot of preamble for no for no good reason. Let's just get into it. So so bear with me. This is going to be a long story and we'll take breaks here and there to talk about some of what we've gone over and then uh we'll have a couple of, like fun stories before that's just about it for the news because there's not much else outside of this story we're getting into now. So from gamesindustry.biz, while the FTC does not have the authority to approve or disapprove any given merger, the legal proceedings kicked off by a complaint could ultimately lead to the deal being blocked by US courts. The FTC has cited some concerns over the potential for Microsoft to make the best-selling Call of Duty franchise exclusive to its own ecosystem, pointing to the company's decision to do the same with upcoming Bethesda games like Starfield, among others, as examples, but uh, the move is also part of a broader clampdown on massive tech mergers in general. GamesIndustry.biz spoke with two legal uh, experts, Gamma Law managing partner David B. Hope, observing that this complaint is in line with the FTC's strategy of expanding antitrust enforcement. So first up on the matter, Hope has to say, quote, Part of this is to actively review the so-called quote-unquote vertical mergers, which involve companies that are not direct competitors, but are at different points in the industry stack, he explains. Here, Activision would be viewed as a sort of supplier to Microsoft since it produces games that can be played on Xbox. In the United States, vertical mergers have had much attention, haven't had much attention in the past since they were viewed as 
in most cases, it's being favorable to consumers. The theory has been that integration of companies at different points in the value chain uh, would lead to lower prices for consumers. However, it's not clear if this has actually been the case. Plus, the current view among more liberal econo economics, sorry, economists, econ ec sorry, economists, goddamn, in the U.S. is that <laughs> other factors should be considered beyond just whether a merger will result in higher costs. These other factors include impact to innovation and labor markets, for example, uh, more important. So let, let's stop there. I want to talk about talk about that for a little bit. This is something we talked about, I think, a, a little bit earlier in the year when this story was uh, a little more fresh back in the spring late or winter time, for sure. Which is which is this idea of a vertical um, a vertical monopoly, um, which is actually something. Uh, I, I, I'm kind of shocked that we've gotten so far away from this. I guess it's because the story has evolved so much into, or devolved, I should say, into Sony bitching, moaning about Call of Duty to kind of stall things. And that is, just for clarification, this idea of, sorry, this idea of a vertical monopoly is that it's not that, like, Xbox owns everything and therefore, you know, no one can compete. So, like, if Microsoft owns Activision, no doubt, that would not be a monopoly on the games industry because Sony still has their first party, Nintendo still has their first party, there's other big third-party publishers like Ubisoft and EA, etc., etc. There's plenty of competition to go around for, for Microsoft, even in a world where they own Activision. So, the, to, to go back to that simple question I see a lot of people talking about all the time is this, this is, like, even a question – is active would would Microsoft only Activision be a monopoly in the games industry? Of course not. Would it be one step closer to a monopoly because so few players would be able to get into this ever increasing dick war of a few companies own all the big players? Yeah, but is it a monopoly? No, not even not really even close. It's just it's just concerning, but it's not a monopoly. The idea of a vertical monopoly is this idea that in every step of the of the production chain, everything from the idea to the the the, the physical product to the software to everything is you know the, the same company has their hand in every bit of the process. So, for example, like to really make an exaggerated hypothetical, if Microsoft owned you know they have the R and D research facility, they have the facility where they manufacture and build video game consoles, and then they own. Uh, they, the retailer where they sell the console, then they own the companies that make the games and the companies that publish the games, and then they put the games on their own proprietary hardware. Like that's that's a vertical monopoly. Like if you want to play games, you got to go buy it from a supplier that is owned by Microsoft, then buy it at a store that's owned by Microsoft, then play it on a console that's made by Microsoft, and oh yeah, the game is made by Microsoft. Like they, that would be like just absolute. Like if Walmart and and Foxconn were owned by Microsoft, like yeah. Playing Halo Infinite, that'd be a, that'd be an example of supporting a vertical monopoly. But obviously, that's not what this is. It, this is another one of those things where it's like, is this a vertical vertical monopoly? I don't really think so. But does it seem like it's one step closer to that? Yeah. And why is that? Well, it's because of the digital ecosystem. Because even though Microsoft doesn't own Walmart and Best Buy and Chinese manufacturing plants that build consoles and things like that, the reality of it is a lot of us live our you know, our gaming lives in a totally digital space where Microsoft owns Xbox, Microsoft owns Xbox Live, Microsoft owns Game Pass, Microsoft owns uh, their first party teams, they are their own publisher. So yeah, if you go onto Xbox's platform to buy Call of Duty, the biggest game in the world, it's just all through channels of various divisions and companies and services owned by Microsoft. And in that case, you could see it as a kind of vertical monopoly um, as the video game space continues to head more and more into a all digital kind of direction. So I still don't think that Microsoft owning Activision would be 
a vertical monopoly, but I see how this could be something that would raise a lot of red flags and maybe spark conversations around this concern. And I want to be very clear about this. As someone who generally wants big businesses to be held in incredibly accountable and, and scrutinized at every every turn and every corner and to be held, you know, and for our government to have a adversarial relationship with our corporations, as someone who absolutely advocates and desires for that to be the case, as, as unfortunately as little as it is the case in reality, I just feel like this is one of those putting a lot of stock and effort into something that kind of doesn't matter. And, and ultimately, while I don't think it is fruitless and a waste of time for regulatory bodies to be looking at this deal and to be, you know, maybe a little apprehensive or just, or just want to maybe be familiarizing themselves with these kinds of deals um, just for the sake of looking out for the consumer. As much as I respect that, I, I don't think this is one of those deals where it's like, Ooh, you gotta be careful about that. Microsoft, they're trying to buy Activision so they can bolster their game pass service again, especially when we're in the face of the alternative is Activision is just going to fucking sell the Tencent or some shit. I'm, I'm like the exception to the rule, Microsoft, please buy Activision. Although generally speaking, and this is, this was my original argument all the way back in January when this story first broke about this, uh, proposed acquisition. I do not champion a smaller games industry. I do not like a world where everything is owned by just a couple companies. I hate this as a huge Disney fan. I will always be against that stupid fucking unnecessary purchase Bob Iger did on his way out the door a few years ago when he bought Fox, which has no business being associated with the Walt Disney Company. And I will never defend that as much as people might want to call me a little Disney fanboy or whatever the case. That's fucking stupid. I don't support it. Never have, never will. And in a similar fashion, I do not like a future where Microsoft is like, mm, and we'll take EA and we'll take Ubisoft and we'll take Activision. If there was, if there was like no rule against any of it and Microsoft is just gobbling everything up in the industry, I fucking hate that. Because at some point, Microsoft loses its identity too. When Microsoft owns everything, Microsoft loses their identity. And the consumer does not have more choice when one company has ultimate say, ultimate power and what a massive percentage of the games industry looks like, plays like, feels like, how it's budgeted, how it's produced, how it's manufactured, how it's sold, how it's monetized, all of that. That is not player choice. Yes, putting Call of Duty on, game, on, on PS Plus or giving it to the Nintendo Switch and keeping it on PlayStation indefinitely... Sure, that's great. That is short-term, short-sighted, everyone wins, more choice for the player. But long-term, one corporation holding dominion over a large majority portion of an entire industry, I don't like that. So I, I'm just trying to be evened out here where I'm I'm giving a little bit on this side, I'm giving a little bit on that side. In this specific case, because this is how it actually is to be a human, you cannot have a default this is why I fucking hate political parties is because you cannot have a default like these are my these are the things I believe and they always fall in line with this idea of philosophy or that idea of philosophy it's like no 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 you have different perspectives and preferences on every situation because that is how the real world works and so in general why I would prefer to big for big corporations to fucking back down and stop buying everything in this case I'm in favor of it and I, I think to consider this idea of a vertical monopoly or a vertical merger, I think is ultimately going to lead us to a long discussion that's going to result in us being like, yeah, it's okay for Microsoft to buy Activision, but it's an important conversation to have nonetheless. And I think conversations like this and ideas like this should continue to be at the forefront of our minds and continue to be had. So I'm not against it. I do appreciate this idea being explored, um, but where I start to take umbrage is with this like arbitrary straw grasping argument on, oh, 
oh well they said they were going to do this with starfield it's like no no they didn't that's not how that's not how this works that's not at all how this works microsoft's intention with with bethesda was to keep games that already had a legacy where they are so that's why you know fucking elder scrolls keeps coming to playstation all this shit but anyway we can get into that as well I'm, i'm really tired of these little sound bites between like this guy at Microsoft and this guy in the FTC and whatever. Let's move on to the next series of quotes, which come from Richard Hogue, which is the the guy I was telling you about earlier. Richard Hogue, managing director or sorry, managing partner of Hogue Law Firm adds candidly, quote, I believe the primary motivation is the FTC's increasing emphasis on aggressive enforcement of antitrust laws overall. And with respect to large technology companies in particular, ostensibly, their biggest concern is that Microsoft's control of major AAA franchises, especially Call of Duty, would give them the ability and incentive to remove those franchises from rival platforms and allow them to unfairly monopolize hardware sales, subscription services, and cloud gaming. So that's... Kind of him saying that he agrees with the with kind of what the general concession can, the general consensus has been. Now, continuing on, games industry then changes the framing with the question: Will the FTC win this legal battle? Uh, while many are skeptical about Microsoft's argument in favor of the merger being approved, Hogue believes it will still be difficult for the FTC to prevail in court, despite the the lawsuit. Saying, "Quote on the console side, making the case that Microsoft would have." Inordinate marketing power requires the FTC to claim that Nintendo and the massive success of the Nintendo Switch is not a part of the relevant market that they're looking at, and that is a hard sell. In respect to both subscriptions and cloud gaming, the FTC has to make the case that those markets are separate for the overall market of game distribution, which is likewise quite difficult given that both represent only a different only different business models for the sales and presentation of the same goods. The fact that cloud gaming is not sold by Microsoft separately also blurs that line further. So I guess that being included in Game Pass is, uh, is a boon for them in this case. Anyway, he says, finally, the fact that all of these questions are being posed regarding the company that is is at least second, if not third, on the console sales spectrum in a given jurisdiction makes Microsoft's argument more powerful. The FTC has, very, has a very tough case here. End quote. Hope, however... Has a less has less faith in Microsoft's arguments and says that Smith's uh, Brad Smith, the president of Microsoft, his uh, Wall Street Journal article was surprisingly weak, saying, "quote He's talking about cross cross platform capability as if it was some revolutionary thing that Microsoft was going to bring to the world if they could buy Activision." Many Wall Street Journal reporters and readers and members of Congress will find this interesting, but as people who want to play games or work in the industry know, or people who play games or work in the industry know, cross platform is already here and it's not going away. And any publisher doesn't. Uh, and publishers do not need the platform for this. That said, he adds that ultimately the arguments most likely to decide the case will be based on precedents in antitrust law. And in regard to in regard to law, this is not on the FTC's side. So it seems like both of them uh, are kind of in this camp of like Microsoft actually has a lot more of a case than it maybe seems like because this idea of the FTC, you know, to many of us who aren't familiar with law and aren't constantly keeping tabs on regulatory boards throughout the U.S. and the U.K. You know, these scary headlines like FTC suing Microsoft over Activision deal sure sounds like, oh, shit, well, that that's done. That's not happening, you know. But when you really look at it from a legal perspective and you have some understanding of how these things actually go and what these things mean, it, it seems like at the end of the day, the FTC you know, they, they don't have the, the ultimate say in whether or not this gets uh, approved or denied that, that comes up to the to, to, to U.S. court system, uh, or at least domestically here it does. And it seems like the arguments that they're picking and the, and the things they're choosing to fixate on um, don't really seem to give them much, much credibility when 
they're talking about how, well, one, Microsoft can't be monopolizing when they're clearly in last place when you compare them to the other platform holders, Sony and Nintendo, which is true. And then also this idea that they're kind of vertically monopolizing this digital eco space with Game Pass and and owning the biggest publishers and, and games and all that is still not really wholly reflective because the digital marketplace as well as cloud gaming are parts of the same marketplace because the gaming marketplace is the combination of physical retail-based gaming, digital space, and cloud gaming. And when you add all those together, that is the gaming marketplace, not one or the other. They're not three separate things. Although, you know, the, the digital ecospace is what is booming and growing the most these days. So it is important to note that. But it seems like with both of them, they, they, they feel like there's this idea that Microsoft has legs to stand on because a lot of what they're saying is is backed by the fact that they're not the market leader. They're not dominating the entire market. They're, they're just playing really hard and competitive in one specific aspect of a market, not the whole game. And that ultimately, even though this would be a huge advantage and a huge boon to them, it would not completely turn the tides and and change everything, especially when you, when you consider the fact that um, what they're doing is they're expanding the availability of this game, or at least for now. Um, rather than rather than minimizing it or maintaining the status quo, although hope uh, does does bring up the the point that Microsoft kind of grasps at straws a little bit with their argument about opening it up for more players, cross platform platform uh, capability. Although I feel like this is a little bit misinterpreted, just because it's like, well, they're not really talking about cross play; they're talking about adding the game to more platforms. Because Call of Duty does not exist on all platforms; it does not exist on the Nintendo Switch. That is a huge platform, and getting it there will greatly increase and open up the ability and in, in the 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 accessibility of this title. So I I don't know. I'm, We'll call it a draw on that one because I'm tired of talking about that part. <laughs> now, I think that was the most boring part of it because that's just them you know, kind of responding to the, the thing we've been talking about for the past two, three weeks. But this is where I think the article starts to get pretty damn interesting, uh, which is where gamesindustry.biz then changes the framing to, okay, so what's the next step? Where do we go from here? And then ultimately we'll end with the uh, will this deal happen? Yes or no? What's your gut punch reaction? Uh, your gut reaction, rather. So on the topic of what happens next, um, gamesindustry.biz frames it as, we're approaching the end of a two-week window in which Microsoft has to answer the FTC's complaints before the formal process truly begins. A hearing before an administrative judge at the FTC has already been scheduled for August 2023, instantly pushing the deal beyond June 2023, which is the original closing uh, deadline. Uh, Completion date for both Microsoft and Activision, which they were originally hoping for. Before this hearing, there will be various meetings and discussions between the parties involved, any of which could lead to a settlement, especially if Microsoft ends up offering concessions uh, that uh, that allay the FTC's concerns. Okay. If the case reaches August hearing, the judge's decision could still uh, be appealed by the FTC. Microsoft and or Activision would have to move uh, it to the U.S. Court of Appeals and potentially all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court. Again, Microsoft could reach a settlement with the FTC at any point during this time, although uh, Hope says that the the latter's commissioners uh, have indicated that they are skeptical of the value of such settlements. An additional com- uh, complication, Hogue observes, is that the U.S. Supreme Court is currently in the process of making a decision on the case of Axon Enterprise versus the FTC, which could challenge the ability for of the agencies uh, like the FTC to handle processes outside of the federal courts. Quote, if that goes as many expect it might, Microsoft may wind up with the ability to eject from the process to federal eject the process to federal courts where they would expect to have a higher chance of success. Uh, Hogue says, 
All this is to say that the disputes between the FTC and Microsoft Activision is still in the very early stages. I know, early stages, a year in, uh, which makes it difficult to predict how this will turn out. Even so, uh, both are both the legal experts believe Microsoft would defeat the FTC's complaint. So it seems like both of them are still pretty confident that at the end of the day, at least with the FTC, Microsoft has the upper hand. Quote, to date, it's been very difficult for the FTC to win the, these cases to stop the vertical ma uh, mergers. Hope explains the main reason for this is the courts have required the FTC to show harm to consumers. That may be the mostly self-evident when uh, the two companies are direct competitors, but this is very difficult case in the case of a vertical merger. Where So what they're saying is, you know, whereas the, let me stop here for a second, because with the CMA, a lot of the conversation has been around how this is unfair to competitors like Sony and Nintendo. And that's been a lot of our framing on this conversation when we go over and look at what Europe has to say. It's a lot of Microsoft buying Activision is not fair to Sony. But when you look over what the FTC is saying in their framing, a lot of it is, is this okay for consumers? It's not really about Sony, it's about consumers. And where Sony comes into play is, how does Microsoft's deal affect Sony, the other big platform leader, because that affects consumers. And so that's the lens through which the FTC is mostly observing this. And through that lens, it looks like, especially to these legal um, these legal uh, experts, the uh, it's, it's very difficult for them to make that case and for the FTC to be able to argue that in, in a in a in a really compelling way if this were to escalate further, you know? Quote, for example, continuing on, quote, for example, whether or not Microsoft will provide Xbox users with, ex with exclusive release windows for Call of Duty will likely depend on a variety of factors that are unknown at this point. They may determine that it doesn't make sense for the different reasons or market dynamics two or three years from now, uh, maybe such a, maybe such that it doesn't really matter anyway. So it's hard to make the showing to a court that they will convince them to intervene to stop the $69 billion transaction. Uh, Hogad's, if this went all the way to the court's determination, I believe Microsoft would still win. The trickier question is whether or not Microsoft will take this to the end of such a determination or bail out beforehand, particularly if the CMA, um, the UK regulatory board, and the European Union move against it as well. So with the EU and the CMA, we still have that whole kerfuffle happening while we now shift our focus to the FTC. Now, a lot of people think that because with the FTC's involvement, it kind of supersedes the CMA in that you know, one will bear witness to, to what the other does to kind of figure out how they want to proceed. I don't know that it really works that way, to be quite honest. But I, I, I do know that there's obviously, you know, going to be a little bit more of a fixation on how the FTC handles it. Uh, maybe that's just because these are American companies. Maybe that's just because American uh, stories just tend to pull more traction, whether that, you know, whether deservedly so or not. It just is what it is. I, I don't really know how to interpret that part. Again, I'm tiny brain when it comes to these kinds of things. But this is where we get into the more interesting aspect is this idea of Microsoft potentially giving up and calling it quits, uh, which, you know, put a pin in that because I think we're going to wrap up on that specific idea. Uh, I do have something to say there um, once we get there. So uh, just keep that in mind as we wrap up with the, with the, this, this portion before we get to the end here uh, where Hogue continues on and says, these things take a lot of time, money and resources. And many agencies are basically betting that the company will drop out based on the pressure that they can't um, exert with a uh, with a complaint. Now, stop again for a second. So what he's saying is traditionally when a lot of things like this happen, a lot of times, you know, organizations or, or boards like the CMA or the FTC, what they're waiting for isn't that they are going to beat out Microsoft or stop Microsoft, but rather that they will block up the process so much and make it so 
time-consuming and expensive and wasteful of the company's resources that they reach a point where they're like, this is no longer worth our time. Let's just fucking drop it. So they just, you know, accept their losses and walk away. And um, so that could be the game that the CMA or in this case, the FTC is really playing. So that's something important to keep in mind as well. Um, he Hogue adds that the penalty fee Microsoft would pay for abandoning its acquisition of Activision Blizzard is due to increase in the next few months. At present, the Xbox firm would need to pay $2 billion to stop the deal before January 18th, 2023, with it rising to $3 billion by April 18th, should they continue. And as Hogue mentions... There's the added comp compliance of the, uh, of the regulators scrutinizing the deal. Both the CMA and the EU are in the midst of an in-depth investigation, with the former already voicing multiple concerns over potential harm to com competition if the merger proceeds. While no regulator in is adherent to the actions of the other in separate jur jur jurisdictions, Hoag says that whatever political concerns the CMA or the EC might face in bringing an action or substantially lessened by or sorry are substantially lessened by the fact that the FTC has already moved on this so here is actually Hogue mentioning what we just kind of touched on a little bit which is that whatever the, the hell the CMA or the EC are, are facing or dealing with with Microsoft uh, is substantially lessened or kind of put to the side by the fact that the FTC is already working on this maybe that has to do with you know an American regulatory board kind of stepping in on their own businesses activity um, which then kind of neuters the need for other foreign uh, boards to kind of start to question and, and scrutinize the deal. My guess is that's kind of what they're referring to here. Um, but like I said, pinning that, we're going to end with that. So the last, the last uh, perspective, the last bit they add in here is this, this notion of will the deal go through? Yes or no. Let's throw the question to these two guys and see what they believe. Uh, Gamesindustry.biz says, as the case has been made, um, since the acquisition was first announced in January, the question remains whether or not it will ultimately go through for Activision Blizzard. And if it will become a part of Microsoft, Hope believes that the FTC complaint has significantly increased the costs and uncertainty associated with the deal. I can see why you think that. I think we all agree. He added, I would be surprised if there is not a serious consideration given to canceling the deal and paying the breakup fee if it would apply. If they do not, if they do go ahead and they don't reach some interim settlement with the FTC, I would think, I think that they would prevail. Let me repeat that part. If they do go ahead and do not reach some interim settlement with the FTC, I think they would prevail. It's possible that they would even win in August of next year before the FTC's own judge, which is what happened recently in another vertical merger case, although he doesn't specify which one. That's that's Hope's conclusion. Hoag's conclusion says, I'd personally like to see Microsoft proceed through the process, and I think the final determination would be would be beneficial uh, or sorry, would benefit industry participants' understanding of what it is and will and what is and will be allowed. But it's not my money or my time on the line. It's almost entirely 50-50 in my eyes and entirely dependent on what appetite Microsoft has to go through, uh, sorry, on what appetite Microsoft has to go through uh, this whole thing. All right, so I don't know about you, but the first time I read that whole story, uh, I, I felt like a lot of perspective had been, had been shed on this whole ordeal because like I said, you know, I which I assume many of you fall into a similar camp. I'm not an expert on these things. I'm not, I'm not a legal expert. I don't know much about the FTC or other regulatory bodies across the, across the globe and legal proceedings and acquisitions are a little bit outside my wheelhouse considering that I started this podcast because I really like Sonic and Halo and I wanted a place to talk about that. So with that perspective, with that understanding, 
I feel like this kind of cuts to the core of the Apple. It cuts out a lot of Sony's bullshit sound bites, a lot of Phil Spencer in, in, in Microsoft's bullshit sound bites that we keep getting and having to sift through. And it kind of gets to the, the heart of the matter here, where it seems like both experts kind of say the thing I think a lot of us kind of feel deep down, which is that Microsoft has the upper hand and Microsoft can make this deal happen. But it also introduces this twist I hadn't really considered, which is this idea of, whether or not Microsoft wins at this point has seemingly less to do with whether or not Microsoft has a strong argument and more to do with how much time and money does Microsoft want to waste pursuing this thing. I think that comes down to the kill fee a little bit. As they mentioned earlier, right now, if Microsoft were to say, fuck it, we're done fighting this, we're backing out, we're not going to acquire Activision Blizzard, we're, we're dropping it, Let, let's end this they would be legally obligated to pay Activision Blizzard a $2 billion kill fee for backing out of this deal. But if they back out of it after January 18th, starting on as, as soon as, um, or sorry, that's, that's, that's if they back out of it after January 18th. Um, if they, now if they, uh, back out of it after April 18th, so a few months later, three months later, that $2 billion kill fee is raised to $3 billion. And I know, you know, it's like, well, this is a $68, $69 billion acquisition. You know, what's $2 billion, $3 billion? Then at the end of the day, if they decide they have to bounce, you know, that's a lot better. You know, losing $2 billion is, is I guess, better than losing $68.7 or $9 billion. Well, it's different because in one of these, you just lose a couple billion dollars plus a year, plus a bunch of legal money and time and effort and energy. Whereas in the other one, yeah, you spend almost $69 billion, but you get Activision. So there's a difference. There's a notable difference. And so the way I'm seeing this right now is I think if we successfully make it through January and Microsoft doesn't back out of this thing, I think they're in it for the long haul. I think if Microsoft is willing to risk losing the 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 um the deal over this and 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 they don't want to pay that kill fee if they decide they're going to stay in the fight and keep going past January to a time where it starts to put them at jeopardy to you know increase that that fee I, I think it's their way of saying we are confident we've got this we're confident we're going to win this and it's hard to say because even though you know even though the the voices that be at Microsoft that keep weighing in on this sound very confident and very much like they are not going down without a fight um, they they have to. They're legally obligated. You know they have to make it seem like they're a committed buyer to this deal right now. They they have to save face and look good for the company. So they have to say these really confident things. But ultimately, whether or not they want to back out of this deal or double down and commit to it, we don't actually know that. We're not behind the scenes in these meetings and these conversations. We're not flies on the wall hearing what's going on behind the scenes at Microsoft. We don't truly know how committed they are to continuing to fight this fight that is seemingly going to be extended a couple months past what they thought would be the absolute latest date this deal could be accomplished by. You know, they said the latest this deal would be done probably would be June of 2023. And now we're seeing that might even go past or towards August. So, this deal is going to, we might be talking about this deal through the overwhelming majority of 2023, just a heads up. Like that's how long this could go on for. And so it seems like the overwhelming consensus or, or, or among these two experts is that Microsoft it can can stay in this and fight this fight for as long as they choose to. They're Microsoft after all, and they have a, a strong argument to stand on, but it's a matter of, do they want to continue doing this? Is this the best way to invest your time and your resources and your energy and your executives is to continually fighting this? 
or, you know, is this deal worth it? I think it is. I think if they're willing to put $68 billion down on it, I think they think it is. But ultimately, we don't know. You know, we, we see the Microsoft that has to save face and protect the company and stand behind a deal they've committed to. We don't see the Microsoft that is truly, you know, behind the scenes deciding whether or not this was a good idea or a bad idea or if it's something that they, they think ha- they have to stick with. We don't know. Only time will tell. I still personally am of the mindset that Microsoft is dedicated to this deal and they're going to make it happen. I think that's why they are so quick with the concessions is because they are like, yeah, whatever. We have we have all these retorts, all these rebuttals, all these responses loaded in the chamber. We are ready to go with whatever you need to make this deal happen. We're just we're just trying to get through this as fast as we can. And I think Microsoft wants to fly through this. And I think they're completely dedicated to it. But ultimately, the, their their desire, their eagerness to offer concessions and fly through this deal might be because they're trying to lock it in and lock it down before these kill fees start to incur and, 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 and you know be potential options they have to consider. So that's another thing. That's another way to interpret kind of how Microsoft's behaved in, uh, in recent months regarding this deal. So again, ultimately, I'm going to end on this idea, this notion that I still think Microsoft wants to stay in this fight. I feel more confident having read this information that Microsoft has the upper hand, regardless of whether it's the CMA, the EU, the FTC, whatever, even as they, as these guys mentioned, even if this go, went up to like the Supreme court, <laughs> that, that Microsoft still probably has the stronger argument and would win against the FTC. And so I don't know, man. I just I just think it's insane how long this deal has gone on and how long we've had to talk about this. But this definitely does help give me some perspective and understanding and, and kind of calmness, if you will, about what we've been talking about all year, all fucking year. It's been, guys. It's been all year. We've been talking about this since January. It is December. I am tired. I'm tired. Remember when we thought Xbox was about fucking Halo and, and, and Mario Kart? Uh, no, not Mario Kart. Forza. That's the Mario Kart of Xbox. Whatever. All right. That's it for our big story. We got a couple little ones here. Uh, in fact, so little that I, I don't even want to get into this anymore. This is technically also related to the Activision Blizzard stuff, but we will just mention it kind of in passing, um, which is that one, Xbox offered another concession to get the ball moving where they said to PlayStation that they would, you know, this is according to a Bloomberg article, that they are willing to offer Sony rights to use Call of Duty in PlayStation Plus, their subscription service that has some Game Pass-like benefits and features, but is by no means a Game Pass uh, alternative. Sony has not accepted this deal according to what Bloomberg knows about it and continues to fight against the merger, does not want to take any concessions. They want to fight this thing down until it is lost. So... I mean, we continue to see this. Sony Sony ignores Microsoft. They say no, and they fight the deal. Sony wants this deal dead in the water. They don't want a concession. They want it dead. Um, so the, that idea, that notion that maybe Sony is fighting to get concessions to get freebies, clearly that's not what this was about because Sony does not want to take anything. Getting Call of Duty at some point in time on PlayStation Plus would be a really big boon to PlayStation. So the fact that they don't want to take that shows that they really don't want this deal to happen. The other smaller tidbit story was that um, Phil Spencer made the comment on the Second Request podcast that we talked about last week. This is from that episode where he calls Sony the major opposer to the Activision Microsoft deal, which is true, saying that Sony is trying to protect its dominance of the console space and they want to grow. They th- Sorry, the way they grow is by making Xbox smaller. That is his quote. Sony has a very different view on the industry than Microsoft does. They don't want to ship their games day and date on PC. They don't want to put their games onto subscription service when they launch their games. These are all true, but this quote from Phil Spencer that Sony wants to grow uh, by making Xbox small 
yes and no. I, I, I kind of don't take this quote because, well, yeah, I mean, that is how you win is by beating out your competition. So, yeah. But this idea that, like, Sony wants Microsoft to not be able to exist and what maybe, I don't know, like, I guess no more or less than any competitor wants, you know, their their biggest competitor to exist and be able to give them a run for their money, I suppose. But I, I don't totally buy this. I, I think the thing is Sony is fearful because the more Microsoft is able to grow and just be one of these dominating factors in the game space, the way the more that these Tencents and these other companies are able to just grow and gobble everything up, the more Sony can't compete. Because even though right now Sony is the, is the, is the leader, they have the most units sold for their consoles, they have these first-party games that just sell like crack and people love them. At the end of the day, Sony cannot compete with companies that have the capital to just run in the red forever. That can just put games like Call of Duty and shit into Game Pass endlessly and lose money year after year after year in order to grow their market share and just dominate the games industry. They, Sony cannot play that game. Microsoft can. And this is a this plays this is a huge key component to that strategy Microsoft is employing right now, and Sony is desperate to make sure that they don't get this piece of the puzzle. I think that is really what this is all about. I don't think Sony wants to eliminate Xbox or anything. Not that that's what Phil Spencer said, but I I don't think you know by making Xbox smaller. Yeah, I I don't know that I would say smaller. I think it's more Sony is trying to keep Microsoft in check, keep the playing field leveled, so to speak. And again, this is one of those things where it's like, I'm of two minds with it. In some way, I'm like, yeah, well, I, we don't need Microsoft to get even bigger than they already are. So yeah, Sony's right to feel that way. But at the same time, I'm like, I don't like one corporation being able to tell another corporation how they should and shouldn't be able to grow and operate and do their business. If they want to come with creative solutions to the plights of gamers, you know, more creative and affordable and accessible ways to get gaming. I don't want Sony to be the one stopping that kind of progress. It, it all just depends how, which one of these things you view as more progressive and more beneficial to the consumer than the other um, is game pass and this $15 a month kind of unlimited access to great games. The, the best thing for the consumers and for the games industry or is maintain the status quo where we have really great quality games, but they, they come out one by one and you buy them for full 60, $70 and you play them and then you move on and you buy the next game. What's the way to go? And that's kind of how you want to want to view that. But I don't know. I, I feel, I think Phil's being just a little bit dramatic when he says, you know, keeping Xbox small is how Sony grows. I think they're just afraid of an Xbox that gets so big and so dominant that they're competing in a way that Sony could never afford to compete in because Sony doesn't have Microsoft money. Sony cannot afford to do a Game Pass. And I know people want to bitch and moan all day that they think Game Pass is profitable. I personally still do not believe Game Pass is profitable. And I still do not believe that it fucking matters whether or not it's profitable. And I still believe that Microsoft is a major corporation, one of the biggest in the world that can afford to run, run projects and run services at a massive hemorrhaging loss of money quarter after quarter, year after year, because they make that kind of money in other aspects of their business to justify doing this. And they're willing to do that kind of thing just to kill the competition. Amazon did this shit forever. Netflix is doing this shit. This is what companies do. They're like, we get enough capital, you get enough money, you're wealthy enough. You just do things that are so anti-business, pro-consumer to the point where everyone is dependent on this corporation and then they turn a profit by just having such a sheer massive number of users and consumers and then no one else is able to compete because the market is so dominated by one massive force that no one would ever have the money to jump in the ring and, and throw a true competitor their way. And that is Sony's fear. And in that respect, I do get where Sony's coming from. Has Sony been petty as shit and obnoxious throughout this whole process? Yes, but I understand. I don't know, man. That's not me really throwing my allegiance or my, my preference any which way. It's just trying to be 
understanding and representative of all angles of what's happening here. Because at the end of the day, I don't really have much of a horse in this race. Trust me, it, it, I, I look forward to not having to buy Call of Duty in the future because it would be included in my Game Pass subscription. But ultimately, I am much more interested in a healthy, vibrant, and uh, competitive games industry than I am on... I'm much more interested and excited about that than I am on like, oh, I never have to buy Call of Duty again because it's in my subscription service. Like, eh. One comes second to the other. I'm not saying that one's one, you know, I'm not saying that Call of Duty on Game Pass is a bad thing, but I am saying that, you know, you got you to gotta weigh these things because there are consequences to actions, and this is a huge action that will have huge consequences. So with that said, guys, we are done talking about the Activision Blizzard merger, Xbox acquisition, whatever, for the rest of 2022, unless for some fucking reason, the middle of Christmas, Phil Spencer gets on the mic and says, yo, 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 PlayStation sucks my balls. They suck, and they're stupid. And Phil Spencer, not Phil Spencer because he's the Xbox guy. I meant Jim Ryan. That's the PlayStation guy. Has a tiny, itty-bitty wiener, and then Jim Ryan goes, you motherfucker, you thought just because I celebrate Hanukkah and not Christmas, you could come out here and disgrace my reputation and my name on this holiday. How dare you? It's the same Jesus we all praised, you son of a bitch. And then they would fight it out. And then I'd be like, fuck, guys, we're going to talk about our favorite games of the year, but now we got to talk about this shit. But anyway, next up, this is kind of a it's big news, but there's not much for me to say about it. Um, another Bloomberg report relayed from VGC. Apple may be allowing third party app stores on iOS devices. So iPhone and iPad, according to a new report. Um, Bloomberg talks about how that new strict EU regulation introduced uh, uh, th this new digital marketing act that was recently packed, uh, passed. Sorry, it says that the. Uh, it says tech companies are required to comply by 2024 and users must be allowed to install third-party apps and change default settings easily on their devices. Uh, this is the same law and uh, act that was passed that, that's making it to where Apple has to now change their iPhones from that stupid fucking proprietary, uh, proprietary lightning connector that no one uses uh, and switch to USB Type-C, which literally everybody else uses. And I know iPhone users like to get cute and, and brag about how cool it is that they have proprietary little cables and shit, but you know damn well that's annoying. You know, you know. You know, it's so fucking annoying. Imagine if it's like every time you go to fill up your BMW at the gas station, it's like, mm, I need a special pump just for my BMW because I'm better than everyone else. And all the fucking Hondas and the Toyotas and the Hyundais and the Kias and the Volkswagens and the fucking Mercedes and the Fiats and everything, just all the fucking car manufacturers are seething because we're like, we all use the same motherfucking pump to put gas in our cars, but these stupid little princess bitches over at, at BMW, they gotta do, oh, they're so cute. They got the little special, oh, they got a little special nozzle, and all the BMW drivers are being so cute, and they're putting their fingers to their cheeks like little anime girls, like, ooh, we're so cute, we got a special, so fucking annoying, so fucking annoying. Side note, tangent that doesn't need to be here, fuck you, if you're an iPhone user, good on you, iPhone's a great product, I've had many iPhones in my day, I love my iPhones, they've always been great phones, phenomenal phones, Donald Trump would say, the phenomenal phones, best phones in the world, but <laughs> I hate that lightning cable so much, and I think the thing, the, the, the resent I have the most to the lightning cable, just as a side note, just as someone who had iPhone and loved iPhone for many years and still enjoys iPhone, but uses Android almost exclusively now, the thing that annoys me is that Android has always used the industry standard, micro USB, now these days it's USB Type-C, and everyone refers to it as a Samsung charger or a Android charger. It's like, no, bitch, it's not an Android charger. That's like calling a gas pump a Honda, a Honda pump, a Honda fuel fuel filler 
device. It's like, fuck you. That is an industry standard. That is the same fucking USB you're going to use if you buy a, a fucking keyboard for your computer, if you buy a microphone, if you buy a fuck, you can buy, God, you can buy like USB powered fans to cool yourself. Like literally fans, like fans that make you cool when it's hot outside and they are controlled by USB. You, what are you going to call that? A fucking Samsung fan? Samsung fan? No, fuck you. Lightning cables, goddamn. There's my insanely out of place rant for the day. I don't hate you iPhone users, and I don't hate iPhone. iPhone's a great phone. I do hate that lightning cable. All right, what were we talking about? Fuck, this is an Xbox podcast. So basically what's happening here is this law is, is forcing Apple to open up a little bit. Apple's ecosystem has always been incredibly locked down. That is kind of the bread and butter of Apple's products is that software-wise and security-wise and feature-wise and everything. Everything is just so proprietary, so locked down, so secure that only Apple – you want to talk about fucking vertical monopoly – uh, well, not not really, because there's great competitors and all the other PC manufacturers that clobber Apple in sales. Um, but anyway, obviously, uh, Apple is really known for better and for worse for their incredibly clamped down um, system that they have. And this new act passed by EA reg- EU regulations would require Apple to open up and allow for third party marketplaces and app. app- stores and things like that to be able to exist on iPhone and iPad devices, which I understand why Apple doesn't love this. And obviously Apple is throwing money left and right lobbying to make this not be so. And I understand that. And I understand the concerns about security and how, you know, part of what make what people love so much about iPhone is you can just look up all the anime titties you want and do all the things in the world on it. And you feel like the device is safe and healthy and it runs fine and it's good. And it's, you know, it's not like those stinky windows computers that get viruses, which is, Oh, it's such a funny thought as if, like, we, we still act like Windows computers are, like, 1998 where you can't go to fucking any website without getting a virus. It's eh, All devices are pretty safe and secure. I, I use Windows and Android all day, every day, and my devices are, are pretty virus-free and pretty safe and secure. But whatever. Um, I, I, I do understand why iPhone, I, I, why Apple cares about that, obviously. They, they want to be able to have their locked-down, completely-covered ecosystem. But now they're kind of being forced to open up and allow, you know, without having to jailbreak an iPhone or whatever, for developers to be able to sideload apps, to add new app stores. Um, Android already allows us, actually. There's the Google Play Store, which is the predominant app store on Android. But as much as Google doesn't want you to do this, you can download another app store. Um, Samsung actually has an app store that you can download on Android. It comes pre-installed on Samsung devices, but even like me, I, I have a non-Samsung Android phone, and I can download the Samsung app store on my device if I wanted to use that instead of the Google Play Store. And so this would just basically put iPhone on that level of parity. Why does all this matter to Xbox, you might say? Well, if I can stop ranting about cables long enough to get there... Remember how Microsoft said that they were interested in building an Xbox ecosystem app store for mobile devices? Well, this is how you're going to get xCloud, first of all, on iPhone. So that's the big thing. And the second big thing is this opens up. This gives the ability for Microsoft to get their proprietary app store that they want on mobile. They, we know that they want to put one on Android. We know they want to put one on iPhone, but we didn't know how they were going to do it. This is how they would do it. If they owned Activision Blizzard King, they could have a Microsoft or an Xbox app store available for iOS and Android. You download it and you get all your Activision Blizzard King games on there, your little Candy Crush, your Diablo Immortals on there. You'd be able to get your xCloud games on there. you get all your Xbox access on there. You'd sign in with your Microsoft account. You wouldn't have to give Apple 30% of every purchase made in your app store. This is great. This is, this is everything we want. So this is a huge potential step in the right direction. I think this is probably going to be the path to get, at the very least, xCloud. Uh, I still call it xCloud. Xbox Cloud Gaming 
on your iPhone device or iPad device. So that's really exciting. I know it sucks for Apple and, and they're not happy about it, but this is actually great for not only consumers, but also developers. And uh, because Apple is so fucking shitty to developers, this makes me also very happy as well. So that's that's all good, fun news there. We will follow up on that once uh, once we hear more. But I, it seems like Microsoft went from like floating this idea to being pretty aggressive about this idea. So I would not be surprised if in the next six months or less, we see the existence of probably not an iPhone. It may be a year or a year and a half before we see it, but on Android, at least some kind of Xbox app ecosystem or a Microsoft store or something on Android devices. And God damn, do I welcome that? So fucking dude, the less Google I have to use on my phone, the better. Holy hell. That'd be great. But anyway, that's our last story of the day. Now this is, um, we're done with the news or I guess we have the small stories, but I, I wanted, well, I, I wanted to go through this, um, this fun little thing, because I thought we'd not, not have a lot to talk about, where Metacritic revealed the top 10 worst games of the year uh, by their Metacritic score. Now, keep in mind um, that, according to the list, games were released on or for for any platform between January 1st and December 31st, which hasn't even come yet. The, the, these are the only games being considered, so it's literally just calendar year 2022 release games, and that um, fewer than seven reviews, if a game refu- re- sorry, if a game received fewer than seven reviews, it was not considered for this list because it just wasn't considered enough data. So these are the top 10 worst score games on Metacritic released in 2022 with at least seven reviews or more. So it's a fair amount and we'll go from 10 to one. I just want to go through these because a couple of them are pretty notable. Uh, at number 10, you have Blade Runner uh, enhanced edition for Nintendo switch with a 52, uh, nine, you got Kami Waza way of the thief, which is a PS4 game at a 52 rating. Number eight, you got Waylanders for PC, which had a 51 rating. Here's where we get to Xbox territory. Uh, on number seven, we got The Last Ori Crew, which is an Xbox Series X game, which had a 50 on Metacritic. I uh, Honestly, I don't know what that is, but I want to look it up. Number six was Zorro, The Chronicles on PS5 with a 49% rating. Uh, number five was Ark of the Alchemist on Nintendo Switch with a 46 aggregate rating. Uh, number four is XEL for Nintendo Switch with a 43 rating. Here's the top three. I think we're going to know these games. Number three was Babylon's Fall for PlayStation 5, which had a 41 rating. Remember, that game came out this year. It is about to be shut down and unplayable for the rest of forever. Uh, So that game is already completely flopped. That's a Platinum Games title. So crazy, crazy how bad that game did. Number two, we have actually one of my favorite games of the year. No joke, no irony. Crossfire X for Xbox Series X had a 38 on Metacritic. We'll get back to that. And the number one worst game of 2022 by Metacritic's ratings was Postal 4 No Regrets for PC with a 30 um, out of 100 rating on Metacritic. So aggregate rating. This is, first of all, side note, honestly, the the top five games um, have like a 50 or higher rating. So I know to a lot of people, it's like a 50 out of, a five out of 10, that's a terrible rating. Yeah, but... Honestly, that's a that's a testament to how good games are these days. If the low, if like really, the bulk of your ba- like worst games of the year are a five out of ten. You know, I feel like games used to be so much worse. There used to be so many worse games that would come out. So much shovel shovelware bullshit, to where it wasn't that uncommon to see a handful of like two out of tens, one out of ten, one out of five, two out of five. You know, back in like I don't know, like the old IGN X play days of like the early to mid aughts. You know, so. First of all, it, it's, it could be worse, you know, considering like half of these are like a 50 or higher. That's not bad. 
but of course, the one I want to fixate on the most is Crossfire X, which is the second worst reviewed game of the entire year, according to Metacritic. And yeah, man, I haven't played this game since Halloween, the Halloween update, which was fabulous, by the way. But I don't care how much shit I had to take for this or how bad this makes me look or how much credibility it ruins. Crossfire X is a good game. It is a very good game. In fact, if I had to give it a professional rating, like a, I work for a professional outlet and I have to review this game, I'd probably give it a 7 or a 7.5 out of 10. And if I had to give it a personal rating, like a Jesse rating just for me in terms of how much I enjoyed playing this game this year, I'd give this game a 9 out of 10. Crossfire X is really, really good. Uh, I, I think this game is so woefully overlooked and, and, and underappreciated. And yes, it did launch with a couple of issues that I think were quite quite egregious. And I think over time, the, or quickly actually, not even like over time, like very quickly those, those issues were squashed. And still there is some jank and campiness and weirdness with this game that I understand it's not going to be for everyone. It's not going to be a Call of Duty killer by any means. But this game so was so incredibly misinterpreted and misunderstood, I feel like, because first of all, this game is way more Counter-Strike for Xbox than it is Call of Duty for Xbox. And I feel like so many people reviewed it and shat on it for not having more maps and more things to do and all this stuff. Where it's like, dude, this is how these games work. Is It's like more tactical. You have fewer maps. It's more focused. It's more squad-based. Like, I don't understand why people were so bitchy about this game not having more maps and things like that at launch. And that's so much of what this game took shit for was that very complaint right there. And then the campaigns on this game were fucking awesome. They were so cool. They were so damn cool. A little rough around the edges. Definitely uh, controls need to be tweaked a little bit. And they very quickly fixed the controls within the first uh, couple months. They, they retooled them multiple times for where they went from like mediocre to decent to good to great. to now they're just pretty great controls all around. I have no gripes with them. I don't know, man. I'm going to continue to defend Crossfire X. Second worst game of the year. Spoiler alert for when we talk about our, our top five favorite games of the year. Crossfire X makes my list. That's how much I liked Crossfire X this year. This game was such a breath of fresh air and so enjoyable for me. Crossfire X makes my top, my personal top five favorite games of 2022. I don't care how many you know, well-regarded Xbox critics and pundits out there tell you this game sucks. I don't care how many... Users on Metacritic or the Xbox ratings through the Microsoft Store tell you this game sucks. I'm telling you personally, as someone who's put maybe 40 plus hours into this game at least, this game is really good and the campaigns are really fun. They're really, really good. Uh, I think Remedy did a surprisingly great job working on a first person shooter. Are these games a little rough around the edges? Yeah, for sure. You know, they're not the most polished games of all time. It's not going to feel like picking up and playing Call of Duty these days. And I understand the, the production quality and the polish level on games has gotten to a point where it's so good. Controls and games have gotten so good to where there's not a whole lot of room for anything less than great. But man, if you're willing to put up with a little bit of jank and uh, and just enjoy a really great game on its own, I, th I think this game has so much to offer. So that's just personally me. But those are the top 10 worst reviewed games of the year. I just thought it'd be fun to make mention of those and shout them out. Platinum Games, Babylon's Fall, number three. No bueno. All right. That's it for all of our news news. Real quick, we have one story in the important enough news stories, important enough to make the podcast, but not important enough to warn their own discussions. And it is just that Sonic Frontiers has sold more than 2.5 million copies since it launched on November 6th, which I think is actually a little lower than I would have guessed it would be by this point, because generally Sonic games, you know, real big Sonic games usually sell around 8 to 10 million units. So 2.5 million copies in its first month, you know, considering games sell the bulk of their sale, they get the bulk of their sales within their first few weeks. I feel like that's a little soft, but no doubt it's on it's on track to be 
you know, probably sell pretty decently and make a decent amount of profit. That is uh, a little bit concerning, though, when you consider how many SKUs there are in this game. It's on Xbox One, Series S, Series X, PS4, PS5, Nintendo Switch, PC. It's available on like six or seven platforms, depending on how you want to count it. So that's kind of, I don't know, that's not, I don't think that's all that great. And I hope, you know, I hope this game continues to just be one of those games that just has legs and continues to push and push and sell and sell. And I think with it being a more family-friendly, kids-related game, it probably will be. But, um, yeah, here's hoping this game crushes 5 million at least in the next couple months or something. But, yeah, that, guys, that is it for our podcast this week with the exception of the comments. I put a bunch of comments in here because I thought we'd probably only have, like, an hour-long podcast. But, like I said, we always manage to fill out the time somehow. So, we have eight comments from the audience. Um, I, I'm actually going to cut one or two of them out just to kind of uh, just to kind of expedite things and keep it going. But um, let's let's start out with a couple comments and shouts from last week's show where Wes H. Oh, and by the way, side note. If you want to leave a comment, guys, go on over to youtube.com slash C slash Xbox on podcast, or now YouTube does the at thing. So you can do youtube.com at Xbox on podcast or slash at Xbox on podcast. Leave a comment on the latest episode of the show, and I'll read it for sure on the next episode. You can say nice things. You can say mean things. You can say happy 2023. Let's make it a great year, Jesse. Or you can say, haha, you suck. You tried to get to a thousand subscribers this year, and you're like 40 subscribers. You're like 35 subscribers short of your goal. You suck. You're a failure, and everyone was right that you'd never amount to anything. You'll break my heart, but we'll still read your comment. That's that's fine. I appreciate you writing it anyway. Wes H. writes in and says, Jesse, your take on Xbox exclusives is so spot on. I made my wife listen to it. I'm not saying that this... (laughs) I'm not saying this to be kiss-ass, but seriously, your podcast and uh, and Elden Ring are the only things keeping me in gaming right now. Xbox games make me sad. Well, Wes, I really appreciate the kind words, and I'm sorry to your wife for having to listen to, to listen to me talk about... I don't even know what the fuck I was saying last week. I was three hours in. I was so exhausted podcasting, but I greatly appreciate the support and the kind words. Uh, yeah, man, it's it's been a rough year for gaming, um, especially if you're not really into like the indie scene. I feel like the indie games really thrive this year, and outside of that, there was not too much else other than you know like Sonic, of course. But uh, I, I hope 2023 is a much better year for you, Wes. I hope you're looking forward to... Harry Potter or something at least um, but thank you for the support as always man have, have a great one take care and if we don't talk until then Merry Christmas uh, Jay Comatose writes in and says thanks for the Game Awards recap I had no interest in watching it I did check out all the game trailers you mentioned 2023 is going to be a banger yeah man absolutely well th- thank you for listening to the show first of all but yeah I think 2023 2023 is like a revenge year if 2022 was a little soft 23 is coming back with a motherfucking vengeance it's 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 looking jam-packed my brain hurts just thinking about all the games we have on the way but i'm looking forward to it man no doubt thank you for listening to the podcast and uh, happy holidays to you sir uh next up let's bring up the nintendo switch where redo vandal says yo jesse poo my baby girl how you doing and have you i uh, hope you're having a great day well thank you i hope you are as well uh, i'm coming to you in i'm coming to you in a time of need <laughs> i'm considering getting a nintendo switch i do have concerns how it might transition uh, how it might how it might transition from xbox to switch from time to time don't get me wrong i'm always going to be playing on the series x but i need to stretch outside the box plus sonic frontiers talk had me strangely interested let me know before i kick rocks in my with my teeth love you pooks redo thanks for the question i actually love this write in dude and honestly i could talk about this one for 20 minutes but i'll try to keep it succinct i'm on a couple mind. i'm of a couple minds of this man it really depends 
what games on Switch have you interested? You mentioned Sonic Frontiers. For the love of God, please, if you're going to play Sonic Frontiers, get it on Xbox. Do not get it on Switch, please. Now that that's what you're insinuating, but just in case, please do not get that on Switch. Dude, Nintendo Switch is a great platform. I rag on Nintendo all the time. I rag on the Switch all the time. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that I was a diehard Nintendo fan for most of my life up through the Wii U. And uh, I loved the Wii U. The Wii U got such an unfair rep. I feel like that console had so much more to give than what it was given credit for. And uh, I I supported that console like crazy, dude. And the Switch kind of broke my heart a little bit because I feel like the hardware is chintzy. I feel like Nintendo kind of lost a little bit of their, um, a little bit of like their vibe and identity with the Switch. I'm not really sure how to articulate that. I've never really thought about it well enough to really make a case for that. So maybe I shouldn't even bring that up. But there's just something about the Switch where maybe I'm just being a jaded hipster and I didn't like the fact that Nintendo got popular again and I bounced, you know, I don't know. But there's just something about the Switch where they they lost me. Maybe it's just I got old enough and I finally grew out of my Nintendo phase. I don't know what it is, but you know, for the, in the early days of the Switch, I was a little more a fan of it. I pre-ordered it. I went and got it midnight the day it came out. Breath of the Wild, I thought was good, but definitely overrated. Mario Galaxy, I thought was really great, but not as good as Super Mario Galaxy. Um, and then, aside from that, I feel like the Nintendo Switch just continues to be an absolute port machine. And I understand, you know, a lot of people have Switch, almost no one had Wii U. But when I just look at, like, the new Smash Bros. game, that's basically just the Wii U Smash Bros. game. The new Mario Kart, that's just basically the Wii U Mario Kart. And just continue on and on. It's like, all these Wii U games just port it blah, the wonderful 101, Pikmin 3, all this shit. It's like, I played all this shit on on Wii U. I don't, like, give me a new game. And I feel like Switch has been such a disappointment. And now that Switch is in its later years and I've just moved on from it, I especially hate Switch because I'm just like, it's an underpowered turd of a console and it just doesn't keep up with anything, but it has such a large install base that everyone's trying to put their games on this machine anyway. And I fucking hate it. I feel like it's holding the industry back. I kind of hate the switch, but at the same time, when I'm not being a jaded asshole, the switch is a fun time, man. You know, when I still lived in Atlanta and I used to commute to school and work by train every day, the switch was a godsend, dude. I would sit on the train, you know, sometimes I got off work at like 1230 at night and I would, I would be on the train for over an hour. You know, I'd be like hopping between trains, trying to get back to my stop to get home And I would just be on my Switch playing Celeste or Mario Odyssey or whatever the case may be. And no doubt, the Switch got me through some long, rough fucking nights of just commuting between a a a table-serving job I hated and just another day of trying to get through college so I could move to Florida. So the Nintendo Switch was was a friend and a companion during those years, and I'm grateful for it. But it's just one of those devices where I guess you have to figure out if it's going to fit for you, you know, you you might have just listened to everything I said and gone, well, I didn't play the Wii U, so all those games will be fresh and new to me. Well, great. Maybe a Switch is a great option for you. You might be listening to what I just said and say, I don't really commute a lot or do a lot of mobile stuff. You know, I mostly play games at home exclusively, so maybe the Switch isn't helpful for me. Well, a lot of people like to just curl up on the couch and play the Switch in handheld mode, or maybe they dock it to the TV and enjoy that godforsaken 720p 30fps bullshit that it delivers in docked mode. I don't know. Whatever makes you happy, there's there's a lot on the Switch to offer. You know, if you're looking for a more casual experience, maybe you're in a relationship with someone who isn't super into gaming but you're super into gaming so the switch can offer you that more like casual experience you guys can play i don't know fucking like mario brothers u on it or something like that and have a good time new super mario world all these nice wii u games that got ported to switch and and these are really fun casual games there are some genuinely great exclusives on the switch um everyone seems to love animal crossing it sold 85 point 
7 trillion copies, so clearly it must be good. Uh, all the Pokemon games that run like dog shit are apparently really good, so you can play one of those. Um, like I said, I, 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 Mar the 3D Mario series is my all-time favorite video game series. Of all like, I'll never... I love you, Sonic. I love you, Halo, but you guys come second to Mario, unfortunately. Even though I prefer the worlds and the characters and the stories of like Halo or Sonic to Mario, Mario is just the absolute pinnacle of pure gameplay heaven. And um, yeah, I mean, like, dude, play any of these Mario games on Switch if you haven't played any of them. They're all good. New Super Mario Bros. U is great. New Super Mario uh, 3D World, Super Mario 3D World. That game's really good. Um, and then Mario Odyssey, like I said, you know, 3D Mario is the pinnacle of gaming. So it's a really great time. Not as good as Galaxy, but really good. So I don't know. You just got to cons consider your options. Um, I will. I will end on this just to further complicate things for you. I used to try really hard to be a pretty agnostic gamer. You know, in my younger years, Nintendo was my main shit. Xbox was my secondary. And now, and then later in life, it was like, or, you know, like throughout college and stuff, it was like Xbox was my main squeeze and Nintendo was my side girl. And then PlayStation was like that thing on the side that sometimes I fuck around with a little bit. But really these days, I actually kind of love this like one console thing I do. Because it helps me with this like life I have of just being so busy, not having time for shit anymore. Um, I like to just be like really balls deep in the Xbox ecosystem and feel like I have a really good read on everything in the world of Xbox. And that's part of why I still don't have a PS5. PS5 is awesome. I would love to have one. Um, Switch is great, and I just continue to not use it. But there's just something about like knowing that when I game, I only have to focus on one platform. That kind of helps keep the OCD and the constant stress of all the options out there at bay knowing that it's like i got game pass i got xbox we're good i don't i don't i don't need playstation and nintendo making it even more complicated than it already is and so i don't know man again just think about what you like do you like to have a more evergreen approach do you like the to taste all the fruits of the forest maybe get a switch spice it up have a little bit of everything do you like to minimize the frustration of figuring out what what games to play maybe just stick with xbox that's a, that's a question you're going to have to answer for yourself, although I will end on this note. Splatoon is damn good shit, and that's only on Switch, so deal with that. All right, Chipotle, let's talk about it. A couple of you guys wrote in, and it, it brought t uh, tears to my eye because I miss, I miss the earlier days of Xbox on where we would do the what I've been eating, and I would say some bullshit about Taco Bell, and then like we'd have like 40 comments, and one of them would be like, I like Xbox, and the other 39 would be like, Taco Bell, Taco Bell. So this is kind of fun for me that we're talking about Chipotle. Uh, but uh, a couple of responses from my I had Chipotle for the first time in many years last week. Mr. Mag writes in and says, Jesse, I'm quite shocked. You didn't like Chipotle. It tastes amazing, especially their queso. Also, you ordered wrong. You got to order the bowl with the tortilla on the side. That way you can roll your own fat burrito and then still have leftovers. Mr. Maug, good point, actually. Uh, I, I, someone else has... Rec I, I've had that recommended to me in the past, and I completely forgot to do that. So you're right. That was a rookie mistake on my part. But... Uh, I, I, I didn't dislike Chipotle. I don't know. Maybe maybe you uh, misinterpreted or maybe I spoke too negatively about uh, my middling experience. But my, my takeaway was that Chipotle was fine. It was kind of good. It was it hit the spot. It was solid. I wasn't upset with it. I was satisfied after eating it. It's just that this place gets way too much hype, in my opinion. And there are so many other places I'd rather have than Chipotle. But I, I, like I said, it was an overall net positive experience. I went from, I hate Chipotle to I'm indifferent about Chipotle. So I consider that a step in the right direction. I'm sorry if you feel like I hated it, but, um, or if I, I'm sorry, you didn't say hate, you said didn't like, I'm sorry if you feel like I didn't like it. It's just that, you know, it was, it was fine. It was, it was fine. I enjoyed my meal. Will I be back to Chipotle anytime soon? No, but 
will I ever go back in my lifetime? Maybe. Depends. Where 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 does someone, you know, someone I'm with wants to drag me to Chipotle? I won't fight them. I might recommend a million other options first, but I won't I won't consider that fighting. All right. Uh Mazman also writes in about Chipotle and says, kind of funny you changed your stance on Chipotle, as I too have always hated that place, but recently given it another try. I completely agree with you. It's nothing spectacular, but it's fine. See, Mavs man heard me. Uh, I'd always prefer the always delectable Taco Bell in a pinch, uh, but in a pinch can ride with Chipotle. Uh, that being said, I feel the need to join you in the journey of giving places a second look. I've been enjoying, uh, I've been eyeing the return of Arby's Wagyu Burger and plan on trying one soon. Mavs man, I think that was wonderfully put. I yeah, he and I see eye to eye on this. I think 100, percent and I appreciate your your uh, feedback and, 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 and to all of you guys, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays. But um. Yeah, man, that, that, that's it, dude. I, I know I was comparing it to Pollo Tropical. I was, I was, I was um, comparing it to like Moe's or Qdoba. But yeah, at the end of the day, man, if I'm going to something that's vaguely Tex-Mex or whatever for my fast food fix, Taco Bell is always going to be king. Fuck you. And Taco Bell has a $5 uh, burrito bowl kind of Chipotle knockoff thing that is definitely lower quality than Chipotle, but it's good, and it's $5, not $11, okay? Chipotle, five bucks at Taco Bell, and it's damn good. I think it's exclusive on the app, though. You have to mobile order it on the app. Uh, but yeah, thanks, man. I, go back and give Arby's another try. I am actually have it on my list to try that Wagyu burger as well. I still haven't had it, but shout out to Arby's. I, I don't know if we've ever talked about it on the show. Arby's gets such a bad rep, and it blows my mind because... It's one of those things, I swear to God, it's one of those things where like the reputation is undeserved and it's gotten away from itself so much to where it's like people don't eat at Arby's. They just hear that you're not supposed to like it and adopt the mantra that Arby's is bad. But if you like literally, I was talking to my coworker about that this week. It's so funny you mentioned Arby's because I, I literally said to him, do you like Arby's? Because I'm always trying to spark up some bullshit at work because I don't want to talk about my actual job. And my coworker's like, nah, man, there's certain things in this world I'll never eat. And Arby's is one of them. I'll never eat Arby's. I'm like, that's such an ignorant thing to say, bro. You're never going to eat Arby's. At the very least, like say what you will about the roast beef, but like, yo, they have curly fries. You're never going to try their curly fries. And he's like, nah, man, I'm never going to try Arby's. And I'm proud of it. I'm like, fuck you, dude, go to hell. And then I, and then I got written up by HR, maybe probably. But anyway, I, I'm with you, man. I've been meaning to try that Wagyu burger. I still got to get it. Uh, I forgot they even had it for a little bit there, and then they took it away, and I think they brought it back, if I'm not mistaken. But Arby's is genuinely good shit, especially back in the day when they had Mountain Dew instead of Coke, uh, when they or they had Pepsi products instead of Coke products, because they had Mountain Dew Game Fuel there. They had regular Mountain Dew and Game Fuel. Kind of like how Taco Bell has Baja Blast. Arby's had Game Fuel on tap. Fuck you. How do you compete with that? You get some curly fries. You get some chicken sliders. You get some fucking roast beef sliders. You get some whatever you want sliders. Get those sliders. The sliders are good, man. And you get a fucking game fuel. That shit fed me so many times in college. Fight me. If you don't like Arby's, fucking fight me. You'll lose. All right, Culver's. Let's talk about Culver's because that came up as well. Chicago Gamer 420 writes in and says, Jesse... Haven't written in a long time, but still keep your podcast in my chamber regularly. Been playing less Xbox during the lull of new releases. I very much appreciate the new segment idea of trying restaurants you formerly shat on. I, <laughs> it may be fate that I turn on the podcast that I turn the podcast back on today. I would like to request Culver's be a top priority. Please 
bring a friend slash your girlfriend as I need you to try at least one bite of the following items below. One, the double deluxe burger with or without bacon. I'll do without. Uh, number two, I'm trying to avoid pork. Bacon's great. I'm just trying to avoid pork right now. Number two, the buffalo chicken tenders with ranch dipping sauce. No problem there. I'll absolutely love to have those. Number three, cheese curds. I love cheese curds. So I'll definitely try those. Number four, pretzel bites. Fries if you aren't into pretzels. No thanks. I love pretzel bites. I'll try pretzel bites. Number five, concrete mixer. Similar to a blizzard from Dairy Queen, but it's called Concrete Mixer. Listen, I have no doubt that their little custardy blizzard alternative, the Concrete Mixer, is good. I'm sure it's fine. Get some M&Ms or Reese's in there. But you're calling it a Concrete Mixer? You're calling your milkshake or your ice cream sundae or whatever the fuck you want to call it a Concrete Mixer? Mmm, so appetizing. I want to eat something that solidifies in my stomach and turns into a godforsaken sidewalk. What the fuck is that all about? Anyway, would also like to add that Culver's always has Mountain Dew ready to go. Very good point. They do have Pepsi products there. So Chicago Gamer, thank you for writing in. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Um, great great point there, actually. Uh, Culver's is very high on the list of things to try next. And, and actually, you and Mavsman got me so excited about my next place to give a second go or to, to try something new, rather. That I put down next week is my week to do the grocery shopping and meal planning at home. So I put down uh, next week as one of the meals Culver's slash Wagyu Arby's Burger. So uh, between two of them, I, I plan on trying it. Maybe this weekend I'll try Culver's because I, I have to go do some errands and maybe I'll pass a Culver's. I don't know. But uh, thanks to you, Mazman. I plan on eating some fast food and accelerating my march to death just uh, just by way of consuming that. But I will try all five. Here, here's this, Chicago Gamer. Let's keep it real simple. I will go to Culver's and I will order verbatim what you put on this menu. I will get a double deluxe burger with no bacon, a buffalo chicken tender order with ranch, cheese curds, pretzel bites, and a concrete mixer. Hopefully they have uh, Butterfinger or something I can throw in there. And then I'll get a Mountain Dew. I'll do, I'll do all of that. That will be my order and I'll share it with my girlfriend and then I'll get diabetes. But it will be exactly what you ordered and that is the way we will try Culver's. Thank you for the recommendation. And if any of you guys have recommendations for places you think I've been unfair to the menus of, feel free to drop in the name of the restaurant, drop in exactly what I should order to give them a fair shake and I will maybe do it depending on my health and my wallet. But thank you for writing in and uh, let's round out with our final comment of the week, which comes from none other than Mr. Way of the Lao, formerly known, also known as Way of the Dolphin Butthole, who says, Hello, everyone. Best wishes to you all. Jesse, just because you pretend to be cronky and write into your own show doesn't mean that he's actually a real person. To be fair, it wasn't me who came up with the conspiracy theory, which seems to be entirely true, that you know cronky is the same person. I don't remember who said it, but it was on the comment section here once, but it wasn't me, even though I would like to take credit. Okay, so let's talk about the game awards. First of all, I really think everyone needs to back off the pill sp sphincter. Phil Spinkter, Pill Spinkter, what? Just because they bought a couple bought a couple of AAA studios doesn't mean that they're going to start churning out banger after another. So maybe they didn't have anything to show. Would it make more sense for them to show something when they don't have something good to show? I don't know, but maybe in my opinion, waiting is the best practice, LOL. I wasn't really surprised by the games that were announced at the awards, to be honest. The games aren't gripping me like they did three years ago. There's no excitement in me bones in me bones maybe when it comes to games lately, but I need to go on a journey of Disney self-discovery like you do every weekend. Maybe I just hear, or maybe I just need to play another game besides Monster Hunter. But I hate switching games before I complete it, and I kind of feel 
like a game whore when I do. We'll take care, everyone. We will see each each other on Jesse's stream soon if he ever gets back to a regular schedule. Best wishes and happy Christmas, like the British people call it. British people say happy Christmas instead of Merry Christmas. You know what? I can live with that. I won't I won't gripe on them for it. Uh, the, by the way, side note, the streaming schedule is funny right now because I'm trying to edit videos to put on my YouTube channel and because I'm trying to work on music uh, that was supposed to be out by this time but it isn't done yet. So just as a side note way to allow, I'm very stretched thin for free time and as much as I love streaming and hanging out with you and really appreciate you always showing up on the stream, no shit, like genuinely I super appreciate that. Uh, Twitch streaming has been um, an interesting experience because the growth on that channel has been non-existent and I feel like it'd be better if I spent my time uh, sometimes working a little more on YouTube videos and a little less on Twitch streaming um, because as much as I love Twitch streaming and we'll continue to do it here and there I feel like there's more potential in YouTube also I enjoy editing videos and making stupid goofy shit uh, more than uh, getting sweaty on Halo Infinite in front of a crowd of five people who watch me suck at games but that being said, we will do plenty more streams because uh, streaming is fun and I do enjoy it. And I always enjoy you hanging out and talking and chatting up with us. Anyway, here's the thing about the Xbox Game Awards no show. You're you're right to an extent because on the one hand, I'm, I'm being hypocritical with always complaining. Xbox is showing all these cinematics, all these games that they don't need to announce because if they don't have gameplay ready and they don't have release dates to talk about why they show these games. Talk about the games when you're ready to show them. Don't announce them just because you want to announce them. I always say that. That's fair. And then an event like this, they show nothing. And I'm like, where are your games? You can't just not show up with no games. So it's like, what is it, Jesse? What do you want? You want them to announce things that aren't ready to be announced yet? Or do you want them to no show because they got nothing to say? What do you want? Well, I'm just critical of the fact that they've had all these teams for so many years now. And they just have nothing seemingly in the pipeline. Like, how do you not have... How are you not far enough along the development of Hellblade 2 to where you have a thorough gameplay demo to show and maybe a fall 2023 release date to put on it. Like how is that game not that far along in development? You know, it's like, wh where are some of these developers and some of these games? That's my concern. It's not that I want them to announce things just for the sake of announcing things. It's that I am just as an Xbox enthusiast concerned that Xbox is not managing their portfolio well because they have all these teams and nothing to show for it. <laughs> PlayStation has a fraction of the studios and puts out like three exclusives minimum a year. So like, I don't know, man, maybe at some point we wonder how these guys are managing their teams because it doesn't seem to be running all that smooth. And that was really the crux of my argument. But I think I'm justified in having that argument. I think Xbox has let us down enough times in the past decade or so with these like milk toast years of like, you know, here's a year with two really good exclusives, then a year with no exclusives, then a year with one exclusive. It's like, bro, you got to have more than that, man. You got to feed Game Pass. Like, what are we doing, man? What happened to the cadence of like, we're trying to get to a, a notable game release every two months or every month or whatever. It's like, come on, man. We got we got to start some somewhere, man. Where, where are these games? But anyway, I, I, I'm, so, I'm sorry because a couple of you guys are writing in about how you're a little disenfranchised with gaming right now. And I, I feel sorry for you, man. I've been so preoccupied, excited with... Modern Warfare 2, Sonic, Callisto Protocol, Evil West, uh, Warhammer 40k Darktide, fucking I, like, Halo update that made Halo good. Like all this shit where I'm like, gaming's good right now. I'm, I'm sorry that you're not enjoying gaming more, but there's so much good shit right now. Pentiment's out. I haven't tried that yet, out yet. Somerville's out. I haven't tried that yet. High on Life just came out. I haven't tried that yet. Dude, there's good games to be played. You know, maybe there's not Gear 6 or something like that, but man, there's good shit out there to play. Maybe... Maybe try something a little different, man. Let's try some Yakuza on Game Pass. 
But that's going to do it for our podcast, guys. Thank you so much for listening. We will be back next week for, I don't know what it will be, probably no news. So we'll probably just talk about, I don't know, maybe it'd be fun to do like the top 10 most interesting stories of 2022 or um, if you got like a, just like a listener, I would love to do like a, an, just an endless feed of listener comments, but I don't think we could get enough to fill a whole show. To be honest, it's not a complaint. That's just me being honest. Uh, but, you know, we'll find something fun to do, and we will definitely be back next week with another episode of the Xbox On Podcast. If you would, please do me a favor, if you can, if you're able to, if you'd like to. Uh, if you have iTunes, if you have Apple, whatever, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast Services. If you use another non-Apple service, leave five stars there. Subscribe to me on YouTube at Xbox On Podcast. Uh, drop a like, drop a subscribe. We're almost at a thousand subscribers there. Follow me on Twitch or on YouTube at Lightning Extreme. That is my streaming channel slash second YouTube page where I have a new video that should be up very shortly. So if you want to watch a new video from me, be sure to subscribe to my YouTube channel, Lightning Mixtream. L I G H T I N I N I N G. M C S T R E A M lightning McStream like lightning McQueen, but he's streaming. Um, yeah, I got a new video coming out. Hint. It's a YouTube poop hint. It's about the game awards hint. It has Sonic the Hedgehog hint. It's really stupid, but I, a lot of fun to make and hopefully funny for you to watch. I don't know, but it'll, uh, it'll be out probably in about two or three days at most, but thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all of you guys, even though we got another episode before the holidays officially here, but nonetheless, thank you for your time. Take care. Be well, eat good food, play good games, be with your family and loved ones, and power your dreams.